Whiskey, Yadi Limon. I played Kennedy on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Nicole Brennan on Dead Space. This is Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to the Star Wars Day special for Neil Before Pod. May the 4th be with you all, and this year it's time to discuss Attack of the Clones. We are in the middle of prequel territory, and we are going to get stuck straight into this landmark cinematic event. Joining me for this discussion, first of all, any self-respecting man would never admit that they lost a planet. It's Angus. Hey, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. (laughs) And next up... He, for some reason, asked for a perfect clone of himself so that he could raise as his son, which is suspicious behaviour. It's Isaac. Hello. Hello, everyone. Was that your clone that said the second hello, everyone? <laughs> yes, my clone that says hello, everyone. My mini-me. That's essentially what it is. It's a mini-me. But we're getting we have his own ourselves. independence, but still obeys his dad's rules. <laughs> <laughs> He's still subject to that bout of acne he had when he was eight years old. Yeah. Cool. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We are here to discuss Attack of the Clones, so without further ado, let us just dive into the lack of spoilers, even though the film is, what, 20 years old? (laughs) 2002 it came out, so 19 years old, something like that. Isaac, why don't you start with what you think of this film? So before The Force Awakens, this was my favourite Star Wars movie. I know it's not aged amazingly well, but I think I was just in the right age or the right mindset when I went to see this in the cinema back in 2001-ish, and I loved it, and I still hold it in a very high place. It's really fun. It's benefits, I think, from being way simpler than the other two prequels. It's not very muddled, which just means it can focus more on its Anakin storyline and its Obi-Wan storyline, which is great benefit overall because I think it was discussed this time last year with Phantom Menace, it gets very crowded. Whereas I think this film is much cleaner in that respect. I think it looks quite great. Like I said, I just watched it just today. And ILM really know what they're doing when it comes to even computer effects from like 20 years ago. They're not as textured and nice as they are currently. But I think anyone who sort of says they look rubbish is giving it a massive disservice. Because some of it looks really great. Some of it looks really amazing. Some of the battles and some of the worlds. I'd say it's one of the funner ones. It's a good one just to sort of, I don't know, try to think of a good thing to say. Like, you know, when you want to watch a movie that's, you don't necessarily have to get like too invested. You sort of know the story. You've seen it a million times. It's just good to put on and you can just let it sort of amaze you and distract you for two hours and a bit. I really like this movie. I think it's well good. Cool. It's good that we have that perspective on this podcast. Angus, what are your thoughts? (laughs) <laughs> I watched this in four sittings over the last two days. <laughs> that was me last year. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult to talk about it spoiler-free and also kind of strange because it's been picked over so many times, but I will attempt to do a spoiler-free analysis <laughs> first up. I find it a weird mix of sort of heavy-handedness with the Obi-Wan-Anakin 
Padawan stuff, it's repeated over and over again. And the kind of love story stuff as well about, you know, no, we can't be together, we can't be together, oh wait, we can be together. So that sort of stuff, yeah, I think that's that's fine. It's easy for kids to consume and obviously this is kind of a kids movie, so that's that's cool. And then it, on the flip side it's got this really sort of arcane expanded universe level bureaucratic lore where you've got the banking clan and the techno union and stuff like this all coming in it feels like you're reading some book from the sort of dark ages between the first trilogy and the second trilogy i think it's also difficult to you know it's the middle part of a trilogy that we know what is going to happen at the end of it we know where these characters have to end up and so in the phantom menace you're getting the beginning part of that and you get to see where it all started in Revenge of the Sith, you're getting to see what happens immediately before the films we were very familiar with before that. And then in this one, you've got this kind of middle ground that has to just get us over the line and get us to clones and throw all this kind of stuff in the mix. So yeah, that's that's kind of my <laughs> summation of it. It just sits in there and does what it needs to do story-wise, gets there. And I do agree with Isaac that it's good that it's got this kind of two main plots that it hops between. But yeah, just a kind of strange mix of heavy-handed, over-the-head kid stuff. And then I don't know if I was too dumb to keep up with the politics of it all, but I still need to kind of pause it. It's probably why I watched it in four settings. I still need to pause it and think, who's getting involved with who now? Where did they come from? What do they want? I still don't know if I understand. (laughs) (laughs) At least you don't have to sit through a long Senate briefing like you do in the first one, I suppose. Yeah, there is that. Maybe that's what you want. I don't know. Maybe you're just that guy. You're that viewer. It's interesting how you say it's the middle thing in a trilogy because really this is where the story actually begins for me because one thing this film clarifies is that absolutely nothing that happens in The Phantom Menace is in any way relevant to the other two films. It just is a standalone thing that happens that doesn't really factor into this at all other than you meet some of the characters. But you meet them in this film in a different context anyway, so that's something we'll definitely get to. I'm not a huge fan of this film. I was kind of convinced last year that The Phantom Menace might be my favourite of the prequels, but I do think in a lot of ways this is slightly better. But I think in some ways it's also worse. I think it lacks a decent villain. I think it lacks a cohesive story, although The Phantom Menace is also guilty of that. I think just large stretches of it are just really boring. So I'm not a huge fan of this one. I don't know if it's the worst Star Wars movie. I guess once we cover Sith next year we'll be able to pass judgment on which is the best and worst Star Wars movie of the nine main series films that we've already covered. Yeah, that's that. So that's my spoiler-free thoughts. Shall we activate the spoiler drive and go to spoiler space? Let's go for it. Okay, let's start a bit with the story, such as there is. We find out that the Republic is under threat because members are leaving and splintering off and setting up their own little cabal called the Separatists and war is looming and their talk of an army and Padme is travelling to Coruscant to vote against this military registration act or whatever it is. It's all boring political stuff and it starts with a bombing. What I find is at least you start off with something exciting. It's... You get the enigmatic Naboo ship landing on Coruscant. You get the obviously not Padme from behind duplicate. Then the explosion, and then you're right in there. There's some action right away. Then there isn't any for a while, but right there it captures the attention. I think the opening is actually quite effective. And it also mentions Count Dooku. So you're like, who's Count Dooku? That's someone we should think about. And then you won't see him for another hour and a half. But 
I think when it's setting up the fact that there's stuff going on at the beginning, I actually think that's okay. I'm going to give it that. Yeah, I enjoyed the opening, definitely compared to, what is it, The Phantom Menace? Or, no, Avengers Sith opens with a spaceship exploding, doesn't it? It opens with a space battle in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Phantom Menace opens with the docking and, and then just sort of go for all tea. the negotiations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas in this, it's like, boom, right well, There's away. a little bit of going boom. for tea in this film as well. Had a fair there's share a lot of, of going for tea. Going for tea and biscuits and the representatives from something and something are here. Frolicking in meadows, all that yeah, stuff. there's lots of that. Floating fruit. <laughs> Floating fruit. Floating CGI fruit. And the thing that always stands out to me about that CGI fruit bit is when Padme takes a bite, it gets like a really awkward just slice cut out of it that doesn't look real. I've noticed that she sits awkwardly while she has the fork in the air, trying to jab at it. Just sort of daintily holding it sort of eye level and just sort of staring intensely at it in sort of bewilderment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's quite a lot of that when characters are trying to talk to CG other characters and and you can see them kind of staring at whatever tennis ball it was that they had for the eye level. It just looks unnatural whenever they're trying to talk to a Jar Jar or a Dexter. Yeah. In a lot of ways, George Lucas was really pushing the envelope with getting people to interact with CGI creations and things in this film, whereas it just wasn't commonplace yet. And he was just asking people to be like, yeah, you can imagine this creature or whatever it is you're looking at. And you get the action sequence at the end, for example, where they just told Natalie Portman, just like dart about and we'll put in the mechanics later. We'll put in this assembly line later on. You just need to just sort of run backwards and dodge and roll around and we'll figure it out later. So what kind of direction is that? In fact, wasn't there a thing where they told one of the Marvel directors, oh, just don't worry about that. For Black Widow, it was like, we'll do the direct, you just have reaction shots. We'll do the action scenes. You can do all the boring talky stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember who that was. It was the original considered director and they turned it down for that reason because if I'm going to make an action film, I want to do the action scenes. But I think it was ahead of its time in that way but not in a good way because there are just these awkward transitions where it's just talking to cgi stuff the backgrounds and the interiors and stuff on coruscant are all cgi and they're all really bland they don't look lived in at all which is really weird because star wars has always been this lived in universe then you have this impossibly clean undecorated room that they're just sitting in all there is is a desk and on the desk is nothing yeah some of them look really empty palpatine doesn't have his bobblehead on his desk or anything is Baby Yoda bobblehead. It's one of those sort of things you can get away with. I sort of imagine in this time of peace and prosperity, the original ones looked grubby and lived in because there'd been a constant war for like 30-ish years. Whereas these are looking a little bit, you know, shinier and sparklier just because it's in a time of prosperity. There are parts of it that look more lived in than others. For example, the refugee ship or whatever it is, they travel to Naboo. With the racist robot. It's like, go away, no droids. <laughs> With a racist droid. We don't serve yeah. your kind here. Get out of here. R2-D2 getting really pissed off. <laughs> we don't serve my kind here. And Dexter's Diner, that looks pretty grubby as well. And from the 1950s in America for some reason. Well, it's things like that where Naboo goes by the US political system. Two terms for a ruler. A constitutional monarch only gets the two terms. The politics in this movie isn't the stuff you pay for it. I love this movie, but I do sort of put up with most of the political discussions. Like the bit where Padme asks Anakin how they reckon they should run things and he just describes democracy. 
and then quickly dovetails into a dictatorship <laughs> almost immediately. It's like democracy, but also if there was like a great big king <laughs> that just sort of made everyone's decisions for them. <laughs> yeah, we should sit around and discuss it and then do what the big guy says. That's what we should do. And there's a lot of, I'm going to appoint someone in my place as leader while I go on holiday, basically. Jar Jar Binks, you're good. Jar Jar, we can count on you not to screw this up, right? No one said to me, oh, don't make any massive, huge decisions while I'm gone. Do whatever you want, you're in charge now. It's already a lot of power that they're wielding if they can just sort of assign their job to just whoever's in the room at the time and be like, you take over now. I'm busy. Just put their out of office on yeah, and leave it to someone else. Yeah. Please contact Jar Jar for any <laughs> Senate business. And then Jar Jar takes the first step that leads to the Empire. Good one, Gungan. And spawned the Darth Jar Jar conspiracy. Yeah, which still makes sense. Tragically, Kat's not here this year to do a dramatic reading. But listen to the Phantom Menace podcast and you will hear it. Yeah, so the, the story starts where someone wants to k- kill Padme and I'm not clear on who that is. They never really explain who's trying to kill her, actually. Just someone is. Because they oppose her opposition to the army of the Republic, which at that point they don't know how they're going to do it because they don't have an army, which is the problem. Luckily, there's one literally being grown across the galaxy. But at that point, they're talking about maybe conscription. I don't know. What is the situation? Are they just thinking about, we're going to have to get soldiers here, and where are we going to get them from? Is that what they're debating? Maybe. (laughs) It's just a lot of people sort of running around like headless chickens a bit. Like everyone doesn't know what to do with all the separatists and stuff. I love whenever they're on screen, the great language is like, she can't do that. Shoot her or something. <laughs> or something. Yeah, shoot her or something. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that. Yeah, and that's every politician in this movie <laughs> or in this trilogy. They just sort of say stuff. Yeah. But like, none of it really makes much sense. But the whole point of it is that we get to the second assassination attempt and you've got that bit where they're having a chat and it's like, how should we protect you, Padme? Should we send you off planet? Should we put you in a secure room that's covered in millions of guards and no windows? Or, oh, Palpatine has an idea. Why don't we put Obi-Wan Kenobi in charge? And Mace Windu is like, well, it just so happens that he has just returned from a border dispute. Oh, that's convenient. Let's not be suspicious of this at all. And you meet Anakin and Obi-Wan all over again and Anakin's all grown up. He's a stroppy Padawan in his leather robes and he's still obsessed with Padme. He's been thinking about her for nine years or ten years, however long it's been. So that's a great setup. We get our first introduction to this storied friendship that we've heard about. We can look forward to seeing these guys on their adventures together as we've been looking forward to ever since Obi-Wan first mentioned him in Star Wars. And I just don't think that the relationship lives up to that. Isn't that the first thing Obi-Wan does is berate him in the elevator? Be mindful of your feelings. (laughs) Considering how much they're trying to protect Padme, they put her in just the most snipiest room. 270 degree window (laughs) below a lot of towering skyscrapers. With just a single pane of glass and her bed in the centre of the room. You're perfectly safe here. Even just a standard criminal could probably take that shot and get away with a murder. At least Anakin had cameras on her to begin with (laughs) until she turned them off. I don't think she liked me watching her. No one does Anakin. Calm down. (laughs) But yeah, the, the whole sniping position thing, that's one thing. And they decide to use weird worm things that can poison her that are almost certainly not going to work. I quite like those. Yeah, I like the worms. I like that method. I mean, you get a lot of sort of 
technology and stuff, obviously, because it's sci-fi. But I quite like when in a Flash Gordon or something like this, whenever it just comes down to just shove some venomous insects in there, and you get some creepy crawlies. Yeah. You know, it's a bit old school. I quite like that. Is it all stem from is it Doctor No, the James Bond, where they just try and just put a great big spider in his room? Yeah, it made me think of that too. They just like put a tarantula in with them. Like, yeah, just leave let the tarantula. Do it. It's had years of training. We just want to check and see if it's happened. But the other striking thing is that Django Fett is hired to kill Padme, and then he hires someone else to do it for him. It's all talk, just like Boba Fett. Like his son, he's all just pulls this thing on us. Like, oh yeah, I'm the best in the galaxy, but really he just delegates. But he hangs around so he can kill the person he hired as well, and then be seen as he flies off. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird that if he doesn't trust anyone, if you, yeah, if you don't trust him enough that you have to sort of keep an eye on them and try and kill them in case they betray you, just don't yeah. hire them. <laughs> it does seem like an unnecessary step. Yeah, why couldn't Django Fett have done that? And then he could have been involved in the sequence, the speeder chase sequence, and you have this whole thing about Obi-Wan berating Anakin for being reckless and not thinking before he leaps and whatever, and then Obi-Wan just crashes through the window and grabs a droid, which is completely out of character for him in that moment, based on what you know. They couldn't even be consistent in the first five minutes. It's a pretty great dive, though. (laughs) He just bends it out the window and grabs onto the the drone. Obviously, by today, it's looking a little bit less weird, but I do quite like the Blade Runner-y Coruscant. It's a good level in the Lego game. It is a good level in the Lego game. I like what they were going for in a kind of cyberpunky type way. It's cool to see Coruscant like that. And yeah, I agree that maybe 20 years ago it probably looked a bit better than it does now. But watching it yesterday, as it would have been, I I didn't really like that sequence. It's the slow motion free fall, isn't it? That's the problem. Obi-Wan falls for what seems like hours before Anakin catches him with a speeder. <laughs> yeah. So this He does slow right down at the point of the speeder. Maybe he's using the force to slow himself down. He probably is. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, good old force. I was thinking he must have made some like, really quick calculations to think, right, how fast do I have to be dropping so that his descent or terminal <laughs> velocity or whatever, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if, that, if that even works. Also, he physically. doesn't have the keys for that speeder. That has always bothered me. He just gets in and then goes. Just hotwired it. Force hotwired. He doesn't even do that, though. He just gets in and then it drives. I don't know. I've never considered it, to be honest. <laughs> it's an okay chase sequence, though, and... You get that whole back and forth. Where, again, Obi-Wan berates Anakin. How dare you not rescue me quicker than this? I can't believe it took you this long. Oh, you dropped your lightsaber again. Remember, this weapon is your life. And everything he does is just berating him. Yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi loves his snark. Every line he has, especially with Anakin, is just like, oh, well done. How many times have I told you to stay away from power couplings? Don't know. Once? Does he do this often? <laughs> and then he berates him for being a good pilot as well. Like, well, maybe if you spent less time flying, you'd, you'd rival Master Yoda as a swordsman, which sets up the fact that we're going to see Yoda do some moves. It does feel like we're trying to hit a few beats here in terms of he's a good pilot, you know, he's reckless, but it just feels like they're not really achieving what they're going for. You know, they're kind of showing you it, but I don't buy it. This doesn't feel like the storied friendship or the, the sorts of adventures I would have expected to see them on. And yet, this is canon, so I've got to go with it. Well, there's the clumsy descriptions of stuff that you would rather see that does suggest that you've got the that time i fell into that nest of gundarks and aggressive negotiations and all those things you hear about these adventures that they've had and they sound fun but you don't actually see them instead you just see the situation where they 
chase down a bounty hunter that's hired by another bounty hunter and you get Obi-Wan berating Anakin and Anakin's like, oh, don't say that, Master. You're the closest thing I have to a father. Okay. I love Anakin's meltdown. First time you get to spend a bit of time alone with Padme and he just sort of loses it. <laughs> just complain about everyone. And I hate him. I hate him. I hate them. And I hate Mace Windu. It's like, oh my God. Imagine if that was like, yeah, your security intel is just some psychopath. <laughs> and Padme's just like, well, you know, mentors are always a bit hard on us. And he's like, no, he never listens. It's ridiculous. And stop creeping on me like that because it makes me uncomfortable. And he's just like, sorry, with a creepy look on his face. How does this translate to an epic romance? Is it just he wears her down? Is this what happens? If he was going for creepy, he nailed it. Completely. I love that he says "milady" as well. The first thing he says to her is, no, you've grown as well. Grown more beautiful, I mean. And she's just like, yeah, <laughs> you're just like that 10-year-old <laughs> I saw 10 years ago or however old you are. <laughs> Remember when I was 14 and in charge of a planet? Those were the days. I remember people went against Hayden Christensen for his acting, but I think given what he's got, he's very convincing as a always-on-the-edge, stroppy, lost weirdo. Yeah, I think that with the material they've been given, you can't really criticise the actors as bad or as wooden as they seem. They're working with what they've got. Well, Kat and I had this discussion on the latest news roundup, actually. We talked about how, has Hayden Christensen ever been good in another film since this one? And the answer is probably no. I haven't seen everything he's done since this one, but Jumper, awful. Little Italy, not seen at all, but apparently it's awful. And other things that he's been in. He doesn't really do acting. Awake, bad. Is that the one with Jess Calba in it? Yes. Yeah, I've not seen it. Something about he's in a coma and then he's not in a coma or something. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he's awake. <laughs> but, well, yeah, but was he ever asleep? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know what the story is. But there's a strong possibility that Hayden Christensen's just a bad actor. And the fact that he has bad material here doesn't really help him very much. But there's also another reading you can have of it. And it suffers a bit because the dialogue is so stilted across everyone because you can kind of believe that the Jedi are these like stilted monks that speak in these kind of matter of fact sentences and have no social skills. So the fact that Anakin's trying to hit on a girl that he likes, he doesn't know how because he's had this religious upbringing where that's not been taught to him by anyone because it's forbidden that he does it. Also in fairness, when I was a teenager, a pathetic teenager, you didn't know how to talk to girls. I probably said the same sort of things. Did you pick up all your moves from Anakin? Do you just start going up to women and talking about sand? Just <laughs> yeah, just talk about sand and how much you love fascism and all the stuff. I need to look cool and edgy and interesting. People like. <laughs> I don't think that's just a Jedi problem. I think that's all teenage boys across everywhere just don't know how to talk. It's people they fancy when they're young. Yeah, but you can imagine that Anakin is more stilted because he's had that Jedi upbringing and it's not really been taught to him and... The more you look at the Jedi in these films, the more unappealing they are because of what they restrict people from doing. Well, yeah, that's their ultimate sort of downfall, isn't it? They're basically a totalitarian, a super extreme cult that you can't escape from. And I think that's the thing they were sort of going for, is the, you know, not everything's great. But they do it in Last Jedi, don't they? Luke Skywalker says, oh yeah, these Jedis weren't that great. Yeah. They led to this anyway. It's all their fault. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's this thing that George Lucas is trying to go with, but doesn't quite master it. Well, it doesn't work because everyone talks like that. If only Anakin talked like that, you could understand. But everybody does. There's not many talking Jedi characters, really. Well, there's Obi-Wan, there's Yoda, there's Mace, there's 
Anakin, obviously, but Padme has the really stilted speech as well. Oh, I, I, yeah. So I thought you meant within the Jedi's, but no, just within the characters in the yeah. movie. Yeah, Padme's a odd duck. She always speaks in how I imagine eating Tories to kind of everything sort of like, oh, yeah, everything is well to do and proper. She learned it all at the legislative youth program. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't sound like some kind of Nazi situation. I was brought up in the legislative youth. Can you think of anything more boring, by the way? We need you to go to politics camp. That's what that is. At least he's got all those handsome, curly-haired young people. Yeah, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also the other guy that she meets, that Clovis guy that turns up in the Clone Wars cartoon sometimes. You're not looking forward to the Disney Plus show, like handsome, curly-haired youth from <laughs> legislative camp. <laughs> I can't wait for the Disney Plus legislative <laughs> youth camp TV show. Yeah, it's going to be great. I get to learn about politics of the Star Wars universe and prequel era times. Amazing. Can't wait. Timothy Chalamet stars as <laughs> <laughs> That guy that Padme talks about. Oh, he goes to be an artist though, doesn't he? But she says. Timothy Chalamet can pull off an artist. He can pull off a disillusioned space politician. I don't know, disillusioned artists becoming politicians is a great direction for them to go. Yeah, so dialogue is stilted across the board, I guess. But back to the chase bit, there was one bit I forgot to mention. When they go into the bar, where there's some pod racing on the TV as well. Nice callback, just a little bit of pod racing. Anna, can you go and find the killer? I'm off for a drink. And then the guy turns up and offers to sell him death sticks. You don't want to sell me death sticks. Was it Sleaze Bagano? Is that his name? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called Sleaze Bagano. Well, I suppose you would get characters called General Grievous, so they are wearing their villainy on their sleeves, I guess. But it's it's got to be on the nose, yeah. yeah. But it's like, you don't want to sell me death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. And that makes me wonder, how long does the mind trick last? Does he just go home and then it wears off? Or is he literally going home to just rethink his entire life and he emerges as something else? Or maybe he rethinks his life and he's like, no, nah, I quite like selling death sticks. I'm going to keep doing it. It's like Kilgrave and Jessica Jones. <laughs> like He's just going to stare at a wall for the rest of his life. Yeah. He rethinks and then decides, ah, it's quite cool. I make a lot of money out of this. And yeah, But I notice when I press play on Disney+, Plus, it tells you contains tobacco use or something like that. So is that it? Is that the tobacco use, or is there anyone else smoking in the film? Probably, yeah. <laughs> just imagine if you pause during the big gladiator ring. One of the Jedi's is just finishing his cigarette while running away from some droids. Or Waiting something. for Mace to make his entrance. Or Count Dooku's just lighting up a cigar while he's about to watch, thinking, this is going to be good. <laughs> this slow, animal-based execution is going to be amazing viewing. <laughs> so, Isaac, you mentioned the whole binary plot thing. You've got the Anakin plot and you've got the Obi-Wan plot. Do you think it was a good idea to split them off in this film? Or do you think it would have been better had they stayed together and, and fought together and whatever during this? I mean, he has to be gone so that Anakin and Padme can fall in love. Because otherwise Obi-Wan would be like, mm, you can't do that. You go over there and I will stay with Padme. Yeah, I can't see how this film would have worked if they stuck together. Because a lot of it is, well, all of Anakin's stuff is his in his head and he's got a lot of, sort of disillusionment and stuff. I think it would be weird if they stayed together as a team. I mean, maybe it would be more interesting to sort of see him and Padme actually, because for all their talk of secrecy, no one on Naboo cares. No one's reporting it. Just like, oh, the senator and that Jedi guy just having a laugh and jumping on these big mud horses and rolling around. <laughs> no one's sort of recording this as news. 
So it's all very out in the open. <laughs> so yeah, maybe it would have been fun to see like, if Obi-Wan Kenobi was kicking about. But also, uh, Clone Wars kind of does this, I think. Not in many of them, but there's a bit more sneaking around there. But I think this film definitely benefits Anakin's sort of own little personal journey thing. And then you have the funner B-plot with Obi-Wan just doing flips and space chases and having a great time. Yeah, but equally you get very little of them just doing things as master and apprentice. Yeah, partners. Yeah, if you'd had them together, you could have developed that friendship a bit more and maybe even started laying the seeds for a jealousy, love triangle sort of thing, or maybe even only if that was in Anakin's head, but the sort of thing that he ends up claiming at the end of Sith. But it's the middle one in the trilogy. It's got to be like Empire. They've got to split them up and have them go their separate ways. And I guess if they're going to have a secret wedding at the end, it kind of makes sense that they get to spend a lot of time together frolicking, as we've mentioned. (laughs) Where Padme wears increasingly suggestive outfits around this young man that she's trying not to attract. (laughs) Not that she should pander to the fact that he's attracted to her by being more conservative or whatever. It's not her problem that he's attracted to her, but she really doesn't help matters. I don't know what Naboo fashion is. It's just you have to change clothes every two hours, apparently. It's lots of clothing changes, yeah. <laughs> we need to go and check CO Bibble to see what the trends are. <laughs> yeah, just got to keep changing those clothes, changing those outfits. But yeah, it's the Naboo stuff that I talk about when I find the stretches of the film boring. I just find that really dull because it's so unengaging you have the awkward sand bit you've got the whole we used to swim out to the island every day or whatever and you get the fireside chat which is just the worst it has the line i wish i could just wish away my feelings (laughs) no one checked that (laughs) the fun stuff is the obi-wan stuff which i think is why it's only sort of in hindsight people are excited to see the obi-wan TV show and stuff like that is because remember from this movie he was just sort of doing his own adventures and chasing down Django Fett and it's definitely where he gets all of his good credit. Even then, he seems to have this lowest deception score, or he can, he's like the most naive <laughs> investigator ever. <laughs> oh yeah, super trusting. Yeah, of asking all the wrong questions instead of walking in there smooth, like I know what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, just give me all the information. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying his hardest to blow his cover. But he gets away with it. Well, there's some truly baffling stuff that he does. There's the bit where he goes to Dexter Jetster, which is a scene I actually love. I love that character. I just want to know more about him. Give me that Disney Plus series. Yeah, I love Dexter Jetster. As you say, Angus, 1950s diner, retro. And it's this heap in the middle of two fancy buildings as well. I kind of feel like he wanted Coruscant to be like film noir, big city in the clouds feeling. So yeah, I think he wanted it to be all 50s, but except for like Dexter Jetster, everything else is retro-futuristic, so it doesn't really come across that way. He's a bit Futurama, isn't he, Dexter? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I could see him in Futurama. It's almost like that pizza place that's like across the road from there, and then that one episode, that's what it reminds me of. Oh yeah, they got to play Blends Ball. USA Blends Ball. (laughs) Yeah. But it's that whole bit, it baffles me because, okay, I've got this dart, and it's like, oh yeah, the droids only check for symbols. They don't check for markings on the tip or whatever. But any forensic technology would do that. Why do they have the droids then? Why not just hire people? Yeah, they are useless droids. I've not really considered that, but they never sort of go, like, this poison's only created in this one part of the galaxy. It hasn't got any logo on there, no branding. <laughs> 
So we don't they didn't know. put any branding on this assassination thing, so there's no way for us to look it up. Property of Django Fett. It says right here. <laughs> it says here in small writing. Yeah. These bullets don't have Lexcorp written on, so there's no way we know who did this. <laughs> we'll never know. That's it. I need to go and speak to my sketchy diner pal. But the other bit that baffles me is where he goes to the archive and speaks to the librarian, and she's like, well, if the planet's not in here, it doesn't exist. And then he goes to speak to Yoda, and Yoda's like, well, look at this, kids. Obi-Wan's lost a planet again. <laughs> Hilarious. And then there's that whole thing about, well, all the gravity points in this direction, but then there's no planet there. Yoda says to him, well, why don't you just go look? It must be there. You just go look. I mean, it's obvious. Do you really need a scene with Yoda's? Can you not figure this out yourself? That's been brought up in a world of everything has to run through the council. Yeah, and you work in your office place or whatever, and people are like, do I show send this email? It's like, yeah, just... Have some initiative. Do you get the feeling that Yoda's just retired and he just wants to like sit on the council and teach kids? He just wants to chill and, and do what he wants? That's a later on Yoda. I think this Yoda at the moment is, he can put up with stuff. He's not the patient one. He's like the reverse Mace Windu. He's kind of winding down though. He doesn't need to teach all the young kids, does he? That just brings him a bit of joy, I think. He says, is it how wonderful the mind of yeah. a child is and stuff? <laughs> Someone erased it from the archive memory, and I am not reading this off a piece of paper that's stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whose relative was that kid? <laughs> yeah, it's got that really low blaster mask on, and obviously his line is just written where his eye level is under the mask. There's <laughs> a little torch or something. That blaster mask stuff actually annoys me because I always got the impression in A New Hope that it was just what was lying around. I've got this ball that flies around... I've got this blast shield mask thing that you can wear. will teach you awareness. I didn't think it was actually a sanctioned Jedi lesson plan. I always felt like they wouldn't use that in the Jedi Temple. So much comes from that as well. Like Obi-Wan's sort of Tatooine gear becomes official Jedi yeah. uniform. So they all wear kind of desert garb. Yeah. It's just been established. That's just there. Uh nostalgia thing into it it's like oh yeah we've, we need to put these in even though they're not really relevant here it's like yeah put them in put the little thingies in and what else you put in from the old films but yeah you have to have like, your callbacks and your references yeah although maybe that scene is to tell us that jedi can't innovate they can't think on their feet they can only go with what information is given to them and that's why they're doomed to fail but then you see him strategizing during like space battles and stuff so he clearly can think on his feet so again it's just inconsistent from one moment to the next it's that whole gravity seems to point in this direction, but there's no planet there according to the star chart. Should I go look? And Yoda's like, well, duh. Yeah, off you go. Why are you still here? If only they'd had an audit log on the Jedi archive, then they'd have been able to see who'd been tampering with it. You know, yeah. Last changed by, ah, uh, Dooku. Maybe they need more than one bloody librarian. <laughs> but yeah, off to Camino he goes to investigate this army. And then you hear about the Sifo-Dyas and all that. Which confused me because you've already got Sidious and then you've got Sifo-Dyas. Makes you think they're kind of the same person. And who's Dooku? What's he got to do with all this? I thought Dooku was Sifo-Dyas. No, he's Darth Tyrannus. Sifo-Dyas is another guy. Yeah, I thought that was his Darth name. Obviously, it turned out to be Darth Tyrannus. But like for ages, I thought the idea was Sifo-Dyas is the Jedi who probably died 10-ish years ago. And it was like, oh yeah, there was also another Jedi who disappeared like 10-ish years ago. And now he's shown up again. <laughs> And he's got links to this guy that Sifo-Dyas had linked to. So I've for ages assumed that Count Dooku and Sifo-Dyas were the same guy. 
Yeah, I've heard that it was supposed to be Sidious or it was supposed to be a cover name for Sidious, but then there was a typo in the script or something and they quite liked the way that Sifo-Dyas sounded, so they just invented this other guy, which then, yeah, raises all these questions where you think, okay, if it is supposed to be this other guy that's completely separate to Sidious and yet the name is still so similar and it never really kind of explains who he was and and Kenobi hears it and thinks, yeah, Master Sifo-Dyas died over 10 years ago and that's kind of at the same time that Anakin was discovered. I don't know. There's, it, there's all these kind of questions that it raises, but it never really resolved. Aye, 10 years ago, that was around about the same time as Phantom Menace. Good thing we didn't cover that in that film. I didn't know about the typo thing, though, but that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it just sounds so alarmingly similar to Sidious. It may be apocryphal, but I think I've heard it a couple of times that it was supposed to be Sidious. There was a typo and then Lucas or somebody liked the way it sounded and so they went with it. I never realised that Sifo-Dyas sounds like Sidious. <laughs> <laughs> I've never twigged on this. That's part of why when I was younger, the first time I saw the film, I felt like I wasn't following it very well because there is all this extraneous crap that goes nowhere and leads to nothing. Sifo-Dyas, are we going to find out he's still alive after all this time? Did he fake his death? Is he Dooku, as you say? Nope. Just some guy that ordered these clones and then died. Who made him order the clones? <laughs> I was having that thought again. I mean, we've kind of come to this discussion point quite a few times. Maybe it's just because we've been covering very strange films or films that are difficult to follow and thinking when you were a kid and you'd watch it, you think, oh, I'm really not following this. I, I, I don't understand what's going on. But then we've come to the sort of resolution that, I know it's just because it's not good or the writing's not good enough to <laughs> allow you to follow along with it. I was thinking the very same thing today and I've seen this film several times. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I'm thinking, why am I following this? Why can't I keep up with who's who it's not me it's them it's the phantom menace effect where you come out thinking maybe that's not good oh no no i must be the problem yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) yeah but the camino stuff is pretty fun in a way because you have that whole usually it would take a lifetime to grow a fully grown soldier but we can do it in half the time oh great in half a lifetime we'll have some soldiers what's half a lifetime depends on the species i suppose he started 10 years ago is the clone's lifespan 20 years? Well, I guess they age them up to the point where they're yeah. Rex's age as he is, or Commander Cody's age as he is. Well, none of those characters are introduced in this film. Around about Django's current age, I guess, is when they're at their peak. Maybe. Maybe a bit younger. So you would have to yeah. imagine, yeah, they have to be physically in their 20s to be in their physical prime. So, yeah, maybe that takes about 10 years for them to get to that point. And then after that, who knows? It's another thing the film doesn't cover. You've got this effectively slave army of expendable troops that are designed to just be cannon fodder and whatever. And they don't address the fact that the Jedi are essentially enslaving an army. What I wonder is, Django's obviously stationed there and he's supposed to be overseeing the training and the development of the the clones. But was that part of the original job when he took it? was like, right, you're going to be here for a certain amount of time. Because obviously he kind of comes and goes. He does his delegated assassinations every now and again. (laughs) But he's like a lighthouse keeper or something. You know, he's like taking this job that's out in this remote place. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to live here by myself with my son. It doesn't look as if there's a whole lot for him to do there. So (laughs) what is it? He just exists there now. Okay, I'm going to sign up to be cloned. And now the rest of my life is going to be spent on this floating platform. Yeah, well, the clones sort of train themselves or they have automated systems that train them. So he's not really doing that. So he is just chilling. The lighthouse keeper thing that you mentioned hilariously, that prepares him for his role in Aquaman some years later, living in a lighthouse with his son. (laughs) Good old Tamara Morrison. He's really coming to his own in the past few years, actually, more than anything else. 
as an actor. Well, he, he's been in things that he's quite good in, and obviously he's Boba Fett now, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's in the um, book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and in The Mandalorian. And did he redo the voice in the original trilogy as well? <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's kind of insinuated himself into quite a lot. Yeah. But he doesn't do the voice of the clones in the Clone Wars TV show. But yeah, I love how oblivious Obi-Wan is when he shows up. I thought you weren't coming. And he's like, what? And we've got these clones for you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, yes, the clones, of course. Can I see them, please? The, yeah, the Prime Minister of Camino doesn't care much for data protection. You know, just like, we're happy to just spill the beans on. Oh, yeah, here, this is what's going on. This is who ordered it. This is how much it cost. Here's their national insurance number and date of birth. <laughs> and I'm sure this analogy will fit in on a nerd podcast, but I felt like they were like a dungeon master trying to give Obi-Wan a quest and he wasn't asking the right questions so they just have to keep kind of going and like no there's this little bit more information why aren't you asking any more I'll tell you a little bit more okay have a little bit more have a little bit more he, he just never picks up on it <laughs> and I love it they've been growing these clones for 10 years and they never once decided to give the council a call to let them know how they were getting on it's probably in Candy Mundy's email box it's like uh, up down the clones it's like yeah cool just skip over that yeah. It's in a spam. <laughs> no, this looks like a phishing email, so I'm just going to delete that. It is again. It's like Django's contract, right? Okay, we'll, we'll sign you up for this, or yeah, we'll take on this contract to build you these clones 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, they've not checked in. Oh well, keep going. <laughs> we have to imagine Django is, well, 10 years older than when he started, obviously. So he must have been in his like, physical prime when they started and took the initial DNA sample. But there's also a bit of a pandering nature to the whole clone army thing because I know that George Lucas listened to some complaints from the Phantom Menace. We hate Jar Jar. Where's all the iconography, etc.? So it's like, well, I'm dialing back Jar Jar and here's Stormtroopers. Are you happy now? Still no. Still rubbish. <laughs> do better. It's the problem when you let fans give input. Yeah, well, do you think the intention was for these to be the Stormtroopers that we see in the original trilogy or whether they were... A mixture of both, because they never really tell you what happens to all the clones, even in all the supplemental media. I don't know, I've always sort of assumed that yeah, it starts off with the clones and their obedience, then it's kind of like a conscription thing or something. Yeah. But it's also one of those things that's not massively that important, really, where the faceless clone army come from or the stormtroopers. Maybe there's Order 67. Just turn to your nearest clone and shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually there'll only be one left. <laughs> I always thought it was a bit like George Lucas kind of growing a conscience in his older age where instead of having human stormtroopers in the Phantom Menace, you've just got this droid army. So it's ah, it's fine. They're just machines. We can blast them and slice them up as much as we want. And then kind of getting towards, okay, who's in those stormtrooper outfits in the original trilogy? Is it clones? Yeah, maybe. Does that make it slightly better? Don't know. And then the further on it goes, yeah, like you say, it's never really alluded to or it's never spoken about what happened to all the clones. And then eventually you get to the sequel trilogy and you know that it's child slaves. And you're like, oh, oh, brilliant. Okay, so we've gone from <laughs> blasting robots who nobody cares about to now kids being separated from their families and brought up in slavery to become stormtroopers. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe that got away from George Lucas's original vision. <laughs> And then the thing is, it's a slave army anyway, so you don't really know. And it's these sentient beings that are being grown for the purpose of war. And you get in the Clone Wars TV show, which doesn't help this film, because it's not in this film, but it gives you this whole angle of the Jedi respect the clones, they're friends with them, the clones respect each other, they look out for each other and they see each other as people, but also they don't know what they do outside of war. So there's that big question that they ask of themselves when the Clone Wars is coming to an end as well. And it's not covered here because the clones aren't characters, they're just 
commodities that are used later in the film. And the introduction is so awkward because I'm still not sure why they're being grown and for who. The Jedi just turn up and claim them, but were they for the Separatists? Because Palpatine is manoeuvring the Republic to becoming the Empire, but I get the impression he was maybe happy enough to overthrow it using the Separatists and then use that as the Empire. Who knows? Just who the hell knows what's going on here? It does seem as if he could have had it either way, and maybe that was the plan. It was, okay, if the Separatists win... I've engineered that. If the Republic wins, I've engineered that and I'll be the boss of whichever comes out the winner. He's back in both sides, isn't he, really? Whoever wins, I win. Well, you know he's just playing the long game until he can possess Ray's body as he wanted to do in Rise of Skywalker. Well, yeah, we know that now, of course. <laughs> that was his plan all along. Everything he does is leading up to that moment. He's a big planner. He's got his several chess moves ahead of everyone. Or <laughs> but also not. But is this almost like a, if Indy didn't do anything in Raiders the plot would have happened anyway. So if nobody had done anything, or if none of these main characters had done anything, would Palpatine just have won anyway? And then we get to Ray Palpatine in the end. Well, you get the impression that he wants Anakin to hook up with Padme. That's why he suggests that they be assigned to protect her. And I guess he's the one that's trying to kill her. It's not clear, but he wants that to happen because... He thinks it will corrupt Anakin, which it ultimately doesn't, actually. That relationship, I'm, I'm going to buy Clone Wars here again. I'm making that mistake all the time. But that relationship is actually very healthy for him in Clone Wars. It's not in this. Then that must truly be a failure of the films. <laughs> if the supplementary material, which I believe is the case, helps flesh things out. But I've seen the Clone Wars movie. I haven't seen very much of the Clone Wars TV show. And with that much information, I still feel as if I'm completely lost. (laughs) But you get the impression that Palpatine is setting things up so that Anakin becomes his apprentice. Although they don't share any scenes in this film. No, which is a shame because Ian McDermott is one of the best things about the prequels, I think. Well, he does bugger all in this, though. Yeah, it doesn't really get much screen time in this one. He's hamming it to the extreme in the next one, but not in this one. I love democracy. I love the Republic, and I won't keep my powers a minute longer than I have to. Is this what we're witnessing in this world now, with the Tory party taking over the UK? Emergency Covid powers? Who's behind it all? Oh no, is it getting a bit too QAnon in here now? (laughs) Boris is building a Death Star in secret, but he'll make an arse of it like he makes an arse of everything else. Anyway, enough of that. I think we should just talk about the other villain of the piece, the big Count Dooku of it all. Mr. Dooku, Mr. Christopher Lee playing Count Dooku, Darth Tyrannus. An interesting thing about Dooku for me, it stood out to me on this viewing is, and I think I brought it up before, not in podcasts, but in other conversations. I kept thinking, what if he was the good guy? Because he walks in and he says to Obi-Wan, there's a Sith Lord running the Senate and that's not a good thing. And Qui-Gon knew it too. And we need to stop him. So What if the whole plan was to create the Separatists to bring down the Republic because they were run by a Sith Lord? So you have this idea of this villain who's not a villain who ends up getting killed by the heroes who then realise too late that he wasn't the villain at all and they'd been working for the villain this whole time. I think that would have been, it wouldn't have been a twist, but I think it would have been a great tragedy to end the prequel trilogy on, to have that realisation that, oh crap, we walked right into this trap. Does anybody else feel that? It certainly sounds convoluted enough. Well, it sounds convoluted enough, yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's on some level what they were trying to do, because otherwise why is Dooku just telling Obi-Wan, oh yeah, there's a Sith Lord in charge of the Senate? It's not the clearest character going. I don't really know what his aims (laughs) are. 
I do love Count Dooku. I think there's something very cool about him. I think it's just because he is played by Christopher Lee, though. I think that's what makes him cooler than he actually is. I think the character's a train wreck, otherwise. He's a great actor, and so he's great to see on screen. But there are some points as well where he's sort of shooting force lightning and stuff, and it looks as if he's been directed to do that. But I don't know if if Christopher Lee really knows what he... What he's supposed to be doing. He's kind of standing there quite rigid and he's riding his little shop mobility scooter as well. That's quite funny. It I love um, Christopher Lee looking down on everybody in a rave when it's just a lightsaber fight and it's just the lights. It's got the same sort of stoic <laughs> glow sticks, unchanging face and it's just waving glow sticks at his face. Surely someone's edited dubstep over that and just played it for ages. And if not, maybe you should. No, that's tomorrow sorted. <laughs> the thing about the lightsaber combat for Dooku is Christopher Lee wasn't anywhere near it. They had a stunt guy and they CGI'd his face on it, apparently, or his head on the stunt double's body for the combat stuff. So he just wasn't involved. Yeah, I wouldn't expect him to be getting involved or doing masses of stunt choreography or anything, <laughs> which is kind of a shame, I guess. But I don't know. I suppose that's what you get when you get an older, distinguished actor involved. Yeah. He's like, I'm just here to trade insults with a puppet. Oh, it's going to be CGI. He's not here yet. Oh, great. <laughs> he has that Ian McKellen style breakdown on the set of The Hobbit. He was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I don't feel like that character is ripe for a Disney Plus. I'd love to see like a sort of, what's that old Errol Flynn, like the Robin Hood style in his days as a young Jedi, <laughs> fighting people yeah. on staircases and being gentlemanly. And You don't want the young Dooku Chronicles? I love the young Dooku Chronicles. That's exactly what I want to see. <laughs> They could cast the same guy that plays Brian Mills in the Taken TV show as a young Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, maybe. I kind of like the idea that <laughs> young Qui-Gon Jinn's a really wide-eyed young ward. How are we going to get out of this, Mr. Doku? And he's just one <laughs> hand behind his back and the other hand lightsaber fencing and swinging on a space chandelier and stuff. Well, first, I need a cape. That's the first thing I need. And then we'll talk about saving the galaxy. Even though he's a bit of a messy one, I think there's more to him than there is to Darth Maul from episode one because Darth Maul is nothing in that movie so it's definitely an improvement in terms of the secondary Sith in that he has speaking lines he has lines and he has some sort of agenda or end game that he's playing to even if no one knows it what it is or it's not very clear but Darth Maul is literally just a sort of weird demon when his lightsabers two lightsabers and obviously he got a lot of extended Clone Wars stuff that kind of made him into something worth remembering. And with Dooku, they kind of did the opposite in the Clone Wars, weirdly. They move away from any complexity they might have, and he's just a bad guy. In that show, he's just a leadership-level bad guy in that show, because I guess that's all you can get from this. But I kept finding myself drawn to the fact that he's telling Obi-Wan what's going on in the Senate, and then Obi-Wan just ignores it. He doesn't go back and say... There might be a Sith Lord in charge, by the way. I was told this. Dooku's clearly a bad guy. He must have just been lying. It's fine. Let's not forget about any of the honourable deeds he did when he was a Jedi. And Why did he leave the Jedi Order, by the way? Did they ever tell you? I don't think they do. It does seem like they're trying to kind of introduce a bit of subtlety with him and bringing in the Qui-Gon element and stuff and, and questions about the objectives of the Jedi and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it just kind of blurs it it's probably his best bit because it's you know he's getting to do christopher lee stuff yeah. he's acting and presumably he's looking at another actor rather than a tennis <laughs> ball and he's not having to sub out for somebody else to do a lightsaber fight but yeah that speech probably is trying to do a lot doesn't really achieve it but at least 
you get Christopher Lee on screen. Yeah, although it takes an hour and a half for him to show up, which I think does the film a disservice because he's mentioned a lot early on and he's set up as this mysterious figure that might be putting hits out on people, might not be, we don't know. He was once a Jedi, why is he no longer a Jedi? This is all really interesting stuff we might want to find out. And then he just shows up 90 minutes in or so and then doesn't really do anything. He attends a meeting with the other separatists. You've got to think that way more Darth Maul action figures were sold than Count Dooku. Cause <laughs> yeah. Kids looking at like an old guy, he's got to be like one step above a Tarkin, really. <laughs> oh, look, there's a guy with grey hair. I want that action figure. At least that one's got a lightsaber. He is just the Tarkin, isn't he? Well, everything's boiled down is like, we just need another sort of Tarkin. <laughs> we need an old British actor who has a slick back hair who can look regal and menacing. He's got a kind of hammer horror background. We're ticking all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Both actors are best mates as well. So like you couldn't have got a better opposite to Peter Cushing. Oh yeah, it's the guy who op- acted against him in like every movie. <laughs> yeah. I know this isn't a Lord of the Rings podcast but there's a great thing about in Return of the King when they kill Saruman by spoilers he gets stabbed in the back. Apparently when Christopher Lee was talking about it he's like, oh no, when you're stabbed in the back it, it's like you're getting the wind knocked out of you and they're like, oh yeah, he fought in the war he probably stabbed a lot of people in the back. <laughs> I wish he'd brought some of that menace to Dooku. That's the most threatening thing you could say to anyone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I know what it sounds like to stab someone in the back. If I was Peter Jackson, he'd be like, uh, I'm going to have my assistant director deal with him from now on. I'm going to stay away. Yeah, just going to step <laughs> away for a I'm bit. I'm pissing him off a bit. Well, I'm going to be cutting this from the film, the theatrical cut of the film. <laughs> and he's like, oh, but do, do you know what it feels like to fall off a 200-foot tower and land on the back of a big water mill and slowly spin down and drown? <laughs> do you, Christopher Lee? <laughs> so that's what's happening. There's no scouring of the Shire for you, Christopher Lee. <laughs> but we'll see you again in the Hobbit trilogy for some reason. You're going to find a big worm in 10 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a strange, strange situation. Yeah, so I think it suffers from the fact that Dooku's hardly in it. He only shows up at the end. And then when you get to Sith, he's only in a minute or so, really. So there's nothing to him. There's nothing there. But I think it's one of those things where George Lucas is saying, we're going to tell the story of the Clone Wars later in some other project. So we'll use this character later. Yeah. But he's here. Because they do that again in <laughs> Revenge of the Sith with Grievous. There's no setup to these villains. It's just like, oh, we've just thought of them now and we'll put them in. It'd be much better if yeah. we'd heard about them at least or they existed in at least the film before it. Whereas they're just like, oh, yeah, no, now the biggest threat ever is this new guy. Or even just more prominent than the film they're in. If you had Dooku kicking about throughout in some way, I don't know how you would have done that, but it needs a different film, yeah. I suppose, entirely, for it all to work. But if Dooku's going to be your villain, then he needs to be your villain, and he's he's not. Like, I think this film suffers from the fact that it doesn't really have a villain for so long. You just have little things that happen here and there as it goes through. And Django's a bit of a threat for a little while, and then he disappears. And then you get Dooku, and he's not really a threat for a bit, and so on. So up until that point, there's kind of nothing between Django and Dooku. There's nothing else. Maybe it is just back to that issue of having to connect the beginning of Anakin's story with the end of Anakin's story. And, you know, all this stuff has to happen. It's a trilogy. For some reason, it has to be a trilogy. But we need this middle movie and things need to kind of progress. People need to come in and out of the story. <laughs> but yeah, it might not be handled in the best way or or have like a true antagonist of the piece. Yeah, but I do like him trading barbs with Yoda. That's quite fun. Shoots a bit of lightning at him. Yeah. Yoda tries to throw a couple of things at him. Doesn't work. 
They're just enough to settle their differences with a lightsaber. And of course, they see Yoda jumping around and it looks ridiculous. I don't mind both Yoda or the Emperor having lightsabers. I know it's something saying that, you know, like these characters are sort of beyond those things. But also this movie is, or this prequel trilogy is 30 years or so before. So I don't mind. I'm pro a lightsaber fighting Yoda. But when you're talking 30 years, right, that's a drop in the ocean for Yoda's lifespan. So (laughs) 30 years is nothing. (laughs) He really goes downhill in that last sort of... Yeah, what? well, he loses his lightsaber, doesn't he? So it's that's it. It's a big mess up for the Jedi for him, which probably throws him away from the combat end of it, and then just goes and meditates for thirty years or whatever. And then the Emperor's in the original trilogy; he's been in power for ages, so he's like I'm untouchable or whatever. But I think like a Palpatine on the rise would plan for every eventuality, including having to do a barrel roll jump at people, lightsaber out, and just like <laughs> slice everyone up. So. Also, lightsabers are fun. Yeah, I also like it. I know there was backlash to Yoda flying about and flipping about all over the place. But, you know, I find him kind of choppering in in a kind of Vietnam style (laughs) and also having a lightsaber fight where he is basically just an animated thing bouncing around. I find that more interesting than him just chatting back at the Jedi Temple. (laughs) So when there's a lot of other stuff in this that I would skip over, I do enjoy that. And it reminds me of playing, I think it's Soul Calibur 4. He was one of the characters in that (laughs) because you could play as Vader or the Apprentice or Yoda on different platforms. I had the 360 version. And then they released it for the other platforms because I got Yoda on the PS3 eventually. Right. And yeah, he was good. He was a good character to play as because he just flipped about all over the place. He was tiny. I have no idea if his hitbox was smaller, if this was kind of an odd job type deal. But you could just button mash with him and throw in the combos all over the place. So he was quite cool to play as as a beginner as well. (laughs) I remember there was a gaming magazine that I read at the time and it's like, in their offices, no one's allowed to play as Yoda because he just hacks at people's ankles (laughs) and no one can hit him. (laughs) Exactly, it was great. In the heat of battle, Yoda speaks perfect English. Yes, he does. Yeah, I noticed that too. (laughs) Yes, the syntax just disappears. Concentrate all your fire on that nearest droid ship. No time for pretense or fancy talk. This is serious now. (laughs) Just talk normal. So what we're saying is he's just been putting that on on. the whole time. It's an affectation that he wants people to think. It's for his own amusement. Make look more wise. (laughs) Posh voice, Yoda. When he gets stressed, he's like, whatever. (laughs) Drops it immediately. (laughs) Although he does sometimes talk like he usually does. When he first appears, he says, around the survivors, a perimeter create. (laughs) You can only imagine the clones are just like, what? (laughs) I don't know if you ever saw that sat-nav advert when you're getting Yoda and whatever your sat-nav is. And he was talking, it's like, at the end of the road, left you must turn and things like that. It's like, Yoda, you have to speak properly. You're going to kill people. It's like, turn right, do not. And the car's like halfway off the bridge. I'll find that for the show note. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Quite funny. But Yoda flipping around. I remember at the time when I saw it at the cinema, I was like, that's amazing. That's so cool. I wasn't expecting that. But it's the fact that he's just hobbling around on his walking stick the rest of the time or floating on his little platform. And then suddenly, as soon as he brings out his lightsaber, he's just flipping around like a demon. I like that he just turns it on. Maybe he is a bit more feeble, but he's like, right, I've just got to summon the power to pinball around this place for (laughs) a minute and a half. That's all I need. do that i think he's just doing it with me dooku will feel ridiculous after a while and have to leave he's just using it so he can get the seat on like a coruscant space bus and it could push in the cafe keeps his frail he's like yeah they don't know it's all for the disability yeah. badge that's what it bus is. Pass. so what we've established about yoda is that he can speak perfect english and just chooses not to and he is faking a disability yeah. 
Not a good look for Yoda. Yeah, because Grogu's <laughs> a baby and he's 50. And then this baby is like 450. So it's probably like 19 in Yoda. No, he's like 850 oh, in this movie. Or 800 and... That's still a lot. Because he's 900 in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah, so he's like in his late 800s. That's like mid-30s for Yoda. I'd say it's probably at the end of his life, I guess. If Grogu's what... I don't know how old... Grogu is it five years old. In the or one something? episode yeah. we watched is fifty because we're expecting an adult, and then you find a baby. But he acts like, like two I don't or know, three, one, one or yeah. two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose Yoda wouldn't be that old if you extrapolate it that way. It's just really unhealthy. That's why I just <laughs> passed out at like forty or something. Been at the death sticks. It. That's it. It's the death sticks. Just going in that. His lungs are just tunnel and just having a bad hallucinations. He's <laughs> been licking the Dagobah toads just, <laughs> just to space out. That's how he has all those visions. So now he's a drug addict. That's what we've done to Yoda. Just add it to the list. Just add it to the list of character assassination we're committing on Yoda. Yep. I'm not sure I really needed the whole Dooku was Yoda's apprentice, then Qui-Gon was Dooku's apprentice, and now Obi-Wan is Qui-Gon's apprentice. It's this, okay, so all the important people have been directly involved in Obi-Wan's training throughout. It's this kind of elite mentor-student relationships that have been formed. Couldn't it just be Yoda has taught someone, or Yoda was someone else's master back when he was in his prime? In the same movie, we see Yoda teaching a class. So I've sort of assumed like Yoda teaches everybody. Like Yoda kind of does mass teaching and then assigns people. So yeah. <laughs> Although I think there is legends material that have Dooku and Yoda stories. Like comics and yeah. stuff. So he teaches kind of from primary school through high school <laughs> and then also sort of mentors at PhD yeah. level or yeah. something. Yeah, seems so. Maybe just nobody <laughs> liked Count Doku. They're all going like, I don't, I don't want it. It's really weird. It's like, fine, I'll take it. Just this once. <laughs> it's kind of another lie that Obi-Wan tells to Luke, though, isn't it? You're going to seek out Yoda, the Jedi Master who instructed me. No, he didn't. I suppose he did initially, but no, he didn't. He spoke to me. <laughs> It's all just name dropping. Yeah. You need to go learn from Qui-Gon's ghost. It'll be more useful. But Liam Neeson isn't really around yet. So so Dooku, he's not really anything, is he? And there's that weird thing where he has the Death Star plans for some reason. He does have the Death Star plans. Just ready to go. I imagine one of those bugs becomes Mars Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> and they also, they're like, if they find these plans on us, then we're finished. And I'm thinking... Well, you're already fighting a war against them. <laughs> I feel like the side that you're fighting against and getting chopped by lightsabers against, you're probably finished already without them having to find a, a weapon of mass destruction. But there you go. There's your kind of late 90s, early 2000s equivalent. Chuck that in there. <laughs> yeah, it's fan service, isn't it? So we can all go, oh, it's the Death Star. That's really cool. But also, when you're trying to build a weapon of mass destruction, you should definitely have the only copy be with some old guy. <laughs> the only copy of the plants just downloaded on this little holographic data pad that he has or whatever. So Star Wars and backups are not a thing. They show it kind of on the screen in the background and you're like, yeah, that's it. And then when they hand him the, the disc or the mini disc or whatever it is, <laughs> he like flips it open again and he's like, yep, that's it. That could just be the summary or that could just be an artist's impression. He has no idea that the rest of the spec is on there, but he's like, yep, confirmed, got it. <laughs> And then he takes it to the Emperor, who presumably already knows about it. Well, he's not the Emperor, but Sidious, Darth Sidious, who presumably already knows about it. But yeah, it's the, the ultimate weapon or whatever. We're going to build this. Who's going to build it? The Republic? I don't know. He could probably convince the Republic to let him build a Death Star during the Clone Wars. 
We could wipe out entire fleets in one shot. Need to do something about the branding, though, just to sell it to the citizens. You know, Death Star. Yeah. Don't know if they'll buy it. We'll call it the Peace Star. There we go. <laughs> Providing thousands of homes and jobs and stuff. Just don't tell anyone about the big laser. <laughs> <laughs> Peace Cannon. Also, we're going to need a lot of those crystals that you Jedi guys use to power your lightsabers. And I mean a lot of them. That's a hard sell, because it's now canon that the kyber crystals powered the Death Star. It's a big old lightsaber. Essentially, yeah, I suppose. Weird kyber crystals. They weren't even a thing in those. Well, they were in external media, weren't they? But never mentioned in the films until Rogue One. Yeah, they might have been in sort of drafts and things of the original scripts, but were cut probably for clarity. (laughs) That's because you never see the important stuff, though. That whole Jedi ritual where they go and run around an ice cave to find their crystal. You don't see that. You don't see Anakin go through that or anything. Again, it's another symptom of the fact that they wasted the Phantom Menace on just irrelevance. Whereas you could have had that story be told if you'd planned the trilogy better, George Lucas. But he wants us to consume all the other stuff that's still canon, that's connected to these films, but isn't in these films, didn't they? That's what he wants us to do. He hadn't quite planned Clone Wars yet, although there was the traditional animation Clone Wars movies that they did. Or there were shorts that were then edited into movies. They weren't too long after this, I don't think. It's a risky move to take your marquee headline trilogy or trilogies. And then you think, right, we're just going to hint at stuff in this. These movies can be panned, but you're going to want to check out the extraneous material. Just check out these cartoons we've got coming your way. (laughs) Yeah. Rough. It's really rough. (laughs) (laughs) Just all these footnotes of things that you can go check out somewhere else when you're trying to watch a film. I feel that about the prequels more so than the other films. I feel like there's a lot of story in the middle of them that you don't get at all. So between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, so much happens in terms of Obi-Wan and Anakin's journey as Master and Apprentice and so on. And then between this and Sith, the entire Clone Wars happens. If you watch the films only, you see the start of it and the end of it. So you don't get any sense of what it is as a conflict. I take it Disney Plus doesn't have that kind of Amazon Prime type thing where you can kind of flick up and see more information about what you're watching because that's what it don't needs. don't think so, no. It needs to basically be hooked up to Wikipedia so that at any time you can just pause or you can bring up the menu and it'll be like, that's Lee's Bagano. Want to find <laughs> out more about him? Bring up his Wikipedia entry. <laughs> It becomes this kind of interactive from the early days of DVDs whenever you can sort of click now to to learn more. (laughs) Yeah, don't want that. I just want everything I need to be in the film that I'm watching. I don't think that's too much to ask. (laughs) Well, I think it's too late for that. Yeah, Yeah. because the plot of this film is very meandering. It eventually builds up to the Clone Wars beginning, but there's no real weight or significance to it. It just sort of starts. Before I started watching this, I honestly had melded Everything in Attack of the Clones and then into Revenge of the Sith up to the fight on Mustafar into one. And I was like, I can't remember exactly what happens in one and what happens in the other. I enjoy the stuff from when Anakin properly turns and then, you know, you get the I have the high ground type stuff. But everything before that, I'm a bit like, did that happen in clones? Did that happen in Sith? I think we were talking about it earlier about which one started with the ship crashing and stuff. And I was thinking the same thing when I was watching this. I was like, was that in Sith? Yeah, is that the beginning of Sith? And so for me, this whole thing just kind of is lumped into one big, okay, Anakin is whiny as Hayden Christensen until he turns properly to the dark side. Yeah, of course, this film ends with a battle on Geonosis that is very middling in quality. 
for the most part, with the weirdest execution that you've ever seen. We're just going to release these three creatures that might kill them if they feel like it, but probably won't. It's a very strange sequence. We're going to tie them up to these pillars in the middle of this arena, and then we'll bring in these three creatures. These three random creatures, a weird rhino one, a weird crab spider thing, and a weird hyena thing. I don't know. Yeah, and we're just going to hope for the best. I like the kind of imagery. I appreciate what they're going for, and it reminds me of Golden Age of Hollywood, sort of sword and sandals, Colosseum-type images. But yeah, I agree. Like As a plan, it's not really great. There's no explanation of are the Geonosians particularly bloodthirsty, or is their culture built around these rituals or anything? Why do they have to be submitted to this? Why can't they just be done away with? But yeah, I like that they went for something there, but there is very little logic to it. And of course, Padme escapes almost immediately or starts escaping almost immediately. And then they're sitting up there in the crowd going, oh my God, she can't do this. What's going on? Solve this problem for us. <laughs> I do like that. I like the bit where was it, Anakin's all like, oh, I need to rescue Padme. Everyone's like, she's fine. She's already safe. She doesn't need you. Yeah. And also having her clothes ripped in a very strategic way by this creature exposes her midriff and nothing else that's the only damage that slashing creature does not easy to do considering her top was quite tight to begin with (laughs) and then she does get a bit of a scratch fair enough but not too bad to just lose the middle part of your top yeah it's very convenient conveniently done i do like when they enter the arena and obi-wan well you're finally here nice of you to show up again berating his apprentice just (laughs) his good friend any excuse to berate the young guy and we've come to rescue you master well good job (laughs) we're about to die i just want you to know i'm disappointed (laughs) also where's your lightsaber i'm really looking forward to that in the new show it's going to show up darth vader versus old obi-wan just looking forward to the just the sort of bitchiness to come back it's like oh here he is i do have issues with that though because did darth vader and obi-wan meet before the fight in a New Hope, I don't think they do. So I don't think they're ever going to share any screen time. The New Hope fight's terrible, so it's just sort of nothing thing. I'd expect him to at least have some feelings about seeing his presumably dead apprentice that's been like family to him turn into this crazy monster. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt they'll share any screen time. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, I'm hoping so. And our New Hope's version where it's just like, oh, here he is. You Darth, whatever, let's do this. With all this history put into it, it's such a lacklustre nothing. <laughs> if your brother or something, or your sister, you thought you'd killed them and you're living with all this guilt and then you find them again, like 30 years later, you wouldn't be like, oh, there you are. Hey, hi, how's it been? You'd expect a bit of emotion. <laughs> yeah. I guess at that point they hadn't decided how close that connection was and everything that went down between them. We need more you McGregor and Hayden content there's a few things i like in this fight though when obi-wan really starts to hate that crab creature thing the crab spider creature because he doesn't have his lightsaber but he has a spear at one point and he throws it at his neck and the creature just breaks it in two and he's like oh now what and then he definitely shows a bit of anger when he's murdering the thing when he finally gets his lightsaber and gets to kill it there's definitely some catharsis you can see on his face when he's just impaling the thing with a lightsaber not so in control of your feelings obi-wan yeah, I like watching Obi-Wan get a bit of catharsis just when he's like, oh, so stressed. <laughs> I've seen it pointed out that he goes through quite a few emotions and it kind of contradicts that teaching of keeping them in check. Or maybe all those emotions are okay to have, but definitely not love. 
don't do that but you can be angry at a creature that's attacking you you can be angry at your padawan you can be shouting at him left right and center <laughs> we're not going back for padme we've got a job to do if you go back for padme you'll be expelled from the jedi order it's like what <laughs> <laughs> you're just making this up as you go along, aren't you? but it's also at that point it's pretty clear that he knows that anakin and padme have something between them and that probably happened when they were off alone together doing things does he just forget about that after that and just never pays attention to it lets it happen or whatever i know in clone wars again supplemental material that's enhancing this in some way in clone wars in the one of the last episodes he does say to Tanakin, say hi to padme for me or something like that it's like it acknowledges that he's aware of that relationship but then revenge of the sith he has no idea until the, it's too late it's like, the, the baby is Anakin's, isn't it? He just never follows up on any of these things. So yeah, Darth Maul, yeah, we dispatched him. He killed Qui-Gon, but we're not going to investigate that anymore. It's just another one of these things that he he doesn't bother checking up on. Dooku tells him about a Sith running the Senate. Nah, I'm just going to disregard that. <laughs> also, there's a Sith running the Senate, you say? Well, there's only one person at the moment running the Senate. Jar Jar. <laughs> he probably does that. He probably just goes and investigates Jar Jar and then finds nothing. And then well, it must have been nowhere. <laughs> there's nothing here to find maybe the Jedi deserve to be wiped out I think that's what we're getting at here they don't do themselves any favours do they it's definitely a flawed society or whatever I suppose society or cult regime whatever the correct term is for religion yeah, religion I'd say it's more cultish though because they do a lot with the mythology I say they do a lot they do something with the mythology in it as in Anakin and Padme have a very pointed conversation about the whole romance thing and i do find anakin's interpretation of it quite interesting as in he's desperately looking for a loophole in all of these things that he's being taught because maybe he doesn't subscribe to them on, on some level because where he talks about compassion which he defines as unconditional love is essential for a jedi that's what he says so this is him interpreting it in such a way but it's this dogma it's ultimately Anakin's undoing. It's all the things he's told he's not allowed to do that feel natural for him. And I guess in some way are healthy for him. Because there's a big part in this film where he has to deal with grief. And he's told by the Jedi, ignore that. That's not important. You're not supposed to deal with that. And it was the same time when he was t- taken from his mother in Phantom Menace. He gets called out for thinking about the fact that he misses his mother. Like, well, no, I can't be doing this attachment thing. That's no use for a Jedi. And it does follow on in here because it's something that haunts him and it's something he can't stop thinking about. But he keeps getting told, this is wrong. You can't feel this way. Jedi aren't supposed to feel this way. So there is actually an interesting emotional story buried deep under there that the film can't explore in any way, but it's there and it's really interesting, actually. Do you think that means that they can't have fraternal bonds or anything like that they're supposed to be removed from their families at such a young age that they've not created that attachment but if they're not supposed to grieve like that then can they just see their jedi brothers and sisters struck down and they're just supposed to think right gotta take that in stride move on on to the next who knows the thing is there is a connection there they could have done more with the obi-wan anakin connection because obi-wan did experience that very powerful grief sensation when he saw qui-gon killed and he was out for blood after that So he knows what that feels like. He understands what it means to lose control. He understands, in theory, how unfair it is that they're not allowed to feel that way and how it's considered wrong. So that should have been something. And the fact that this film spends so long on Anakin looking for his mother, watching her die, 
and then his subsequent reaction to that. I mean, we, we did roundly criticise Hayden Christensen's acting earlier in the podcast, but I do think his acting in the moment where Shmi dies is very, very good, actually, because it's a very understated reaction that just is superbly complemented by the music as well. You know, that sort of craziness building, you hear the strings building in the background as he just loses it. And I think that's a very real and visceral thing. And I think Hayden Christensen does do very well in that moment. I think he's great when he's having a breakdown in front of Padme, which is like he carried telling how he killed every one of them. Just really unpleasant to watch in a good way. <laughs> like he's just lost it. And that's an obvious point where it's, like, it's about here. This is the second where it's like, this guy's gone crazy at this exact moment. I know it's in all the memes, but I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> stellar moment of what the right word is. I think it's countered by Padme's reaction, though. Because she obviously doesn't know what to do with it, but also she gives him advice that's just really bad advice. She reassures him in the wrong way. It's like, well, no one can blame you for what you did. Please don't cut my head off. That'd be nice. (laughs) She just thinks that she has to say that. Because otherwise he'll kill me. He's a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is just going out slaughtering people uh, with his lightsaber. I'm probably going to agree with him right now. (laughs) And I'm just going to forget about it in an hour or so's time when I tell him I love him and then forget about it. Probably just not listening to him. She's giving up. (laughs) He's always just whining about something. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's not your fault. Sorry, I had my headphones in. (laughs) (laughs) My space headphones. (laughs) Hi, Anakin, I brought you some blue milk. How was the search for your mother? Sorry, she's dead. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I murdered all these Tusken Raiders. Murdered them. The women, the children, all of them. That settlement, decapitated. Crazy. Yeah, I suppose Hayden Christensen's performance in those two scenes is good. And then, yeah, so there's two good scenes that he does in these films so far that we've determined. But that's about it, I suppose. Do you think he should have become Vader earlier in the trilogy? I think that's kind of a criticism that gets levelled at it a fair amount. And yeah, maybe we did spend too long with him as a child. And then, as I've said, I quite often blend clones and the first bit of, or the first half of Sith together. Do you think it would have worked out better or been more interesting if his downfall had happened earlier in the trilogy and then might have been able to see the kind of early days of Vader in the third one? So I think if you'd asked me this a few years ago, my answer would have been, yes, I think we should have had Darth Vader much earlier. But again, this is me bringing in the Clone Wars and the strong work they did with Anakin there because the films essentially just tell you that Anakin is a bit of a bad dude and he's always heading down this dark path. But if you watch him in the Clone Wars, he's the guy you heard about in the original trilogy. He's that capable warrior. He's that compassionate friend. He's all those things. And it leads me to conclude that Anakin is a good person who was just misled And then there's a couple of particular events that cause him to flip. And then by the time he's flipped, it's kind of too late. So he's consumed by this darkness that he can't let go of until much later. So so I don't think it was a gradual decline. In the way that some people want to think it is, I do think that light switch moment does make sense based on what he goes through. But I don't think that he was always just going to be Darth Vader. There's a lot of elements that go into him turning that are very situational, I think. I don't think it's just that he's out and out bad Mm. i think you still could have had you know if you shift the timeline of the three prequel films forward a bit and then you could still have the clone wars cartoons and stuff between say one and two yeah you're speeding things up a bit you don't have to feel like we've got a bit of filler or you know the stuff that it feels as if it's a bit extraneous or needs to be explained elsewhere if you're teenage anakin and phantom menace 
you would add more time to explore everything. Yeah. Yeah. I still think that, like you said, the light switch stuff is good and, and the, you can see and you can kind of sympathize with him as well when he gets kind of manipulated in the third one, how Palpatine is able to kind of twist things and bring him onto his side. But we're talking about the third film instead of talking about this one. So. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that here. So the only bad thing he does in this film is murder Tusken Raiders as an extreme reaction to grief. But then you've seen numerous examples throughout this film and the last one to a lesser extent of him being told that his feelings are wrong. These natural feelings that people have are wrong and that's going to take a toll on someone, especially someone as young as he is because Obi-Wan is so ill-equipped to answer his questions as well. If he asks Obi-Wan, why should I forget about my mother and just try and move on with my life, not paying attention to the fact that I'm having these prophetic dreams about her and things like that. And Obi-Wan can't answer those questions because he's a crap teacher and doesn't have the answers. So you could see why Anakin would feel like this whole Jedi thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. It is a bit weird because, as you pointed out, they should share connections about the grief that they've gone through. And you feel as if Obi-Wan should have a bond with him or they've got things that they could bond over. And yet none of that is really explored properly. Not in this film, no. But it's in the Clone Wars show. So again, I've got the benefit of having seen how they interact in that show. And I'm trying to forget about it when talking about this film because it's not in this film. <laughs> kind of annoying when you get so attached to a secondary thing that most people haven't seen. I am one of those people. <laughs> You're waiting for the Will Rowhood Disney Plus TV show. <laughs> Just show me the ice cream machine. I want the ice cream maker. What is it and why does he want it so much? Why is that the prized possession he's running away with when the evacuation's called? <laughs> We'll find out over the course of eight episodes. <laughs> Can't wait. Feels like a subplot they could put in a holiday special, doesn't it? <laughs> I do notice that they've got Battle for Endor and Caravan of Courage on Disney+. Plus. I'm proposing now, this is it, this is official, that for Star Wars Day, when in years to come, when we've run out of the other films to talk about... Well, as in two years from now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we could be doing Caravan of Courage. Yeah. Whichever one comes first. <laughs> yeah, I'm keen for that. Why not? Cover the whole canon, the whole film canon. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then we'll do Clone Wars episodes and things after that when we run out of the actual films. How exciting. <laughs> Isaac, what do you think of Anakin's feelings and being told they're wrong? Do you have any views on that? Yeah, it's always like the main message of the movie is the folly of the Jedi is that they basically bottle everything up. Yeah, just ignore it. Just push it deep down. Just meditate on it. Let it disappear and try and forget and move on. And this is sort of weird robot mind thingy which i guess they probably tried to not foreshadow it but in some way similar to link to how the clones turn on everybody because we made these ultra loyal army for the jedi that will just obey any command or whatever and don't really think for themselves which is basically what the jedi are in this it's just obey this principle and this ideal and remove yourself from personal feelings which is not dissimilar to the complete loyalty thing and how that can on a dime go wrong that can all you know be pulled from underneath their feet so i think the, i don't know if there's a, a purposeful link between those two switches where the fall of the jedi is both reliance on a sort of one mind attitude that not only allows the emperor to take over with order 66 but also one of their best new jedi is so easily manipulated because they could have easily stopped this if they just sort of listened to him for a bit <laughs> or answered his questions or they were a bit more open-minded in terms of 
allowing people to discover and work through feelings healthily. I'm not sure if that is a thing they went for, but I think that's a decent, what's it called, like a reflective storytelling thing. I really like Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker. I like watching his fall from grace. I think they wanted him to be more sort of Han Solo-ish in a dashing, not really planning ahead attitude. Yeah, I sort of get that from the way he's talking, like his aggressive negotiation stuff and when they're in the factory bit, is they want him to be like, oh yeah, it's just unlike Obi-Wan who like, oh yeah, we'll go in together or whatever. He's more of a, now just run in and you know, the overconfidence thing. Yeah. I don't know if it fully pays off. It's a frustrating film. I didn't really like it. But there's so much just small things that could have just been a little bit better or been a bit clearer or just a little bit more thought through that would have really sort of elevated it much more than it is. I think the key thing with Anakin is that he, he was discovered a bit too old. I mean, how is eight years old or nine years old too old? It's difficult to consider that. But he was old enough to have an attachment to his mother. So therefore, his thinking is very different because he still remembers her and so on. So I'm wondering how early kids are taken away from families. Imagine this, you live in the Republic, you have a child, and then someone just knocks on your door one day and says, hi, your kid's shown up in the Force Sensitive Register, so we'll be having that, thanks. And they just do it, and they just give up. <laughs> I know this is not part of the movie, but I know there's some variants on... Palpatine's story is his is kind of the same he was a, an older acolyte than a child I think he's supposed to be going into young adult and that's why he focused mostly on Anakin because oh yeah there's a lot of young me in him I know how he's sort of feeling and I can use that to my advantage but like you're saying again this is as with most Star Wars things it's outside stuff it's additional bits it is difficult to separate the base movie or base stuff you get in those two hours to all the other stuff that eventually is added on or expanded on and explained and all that. How old is Palpatine? Is he just as old as he looks? I think so. Or is he supposed to be hundreds of years old? I think he's just as old as he looks. I, mean, I think they have kind of a standard human lifespan. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's around 50-ish. Yes, he's sort of middle-aged. So got, I don't know, I always got the impression that he was ancient, but obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I guess. It's just something you assume when you watch these things. But Angus, you've read a lot more expanded universe material than any of us. So is it ever covered in your experience what happens to young kids in the Republic? Is it just what I said? One day a Jedi will come knocking at your door and take your child because they have the midichlorians. I'm guessing they get a midichlorian test when they're born, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I've read a whole lot more. I haven't encountered that though. It's not something that's come up <laughs> in my research. But it seems like the sort of thing that someone must have covered because there's got to be some story there about families refusing to, to let go of their children. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like it's kind of ripe for storytelling. Turn it on its head, make the Jedi this evil order who come and take children away. <laughs> there's got to be something out there. My guess would be is when your kid's born, when they do the checkup, I guess, Part of it is a midichlorian test because we have to acknowledge that those things exist. That's the measurement by which Jedi are judged. So they go out and it's like, congratulations, your baby is perfectly healthy, but also we're giving it to the Jedi because it has a midichlorian count that's over this line. (laughs) So thanks for the child and see you later. You will never hear from them ever again. (laughs) Yeah, that's just one of the hazards of childbirth in the Star Wars universe. (laughs) Just another thing that you've got to worry about. Hope they come out happy and healthy and with a low midichlorian count so that we can... (laughs) Get to know them. So we can keep our child. Yeah. <laughs> but that's crazy. It's just something that's never addressed in any way. No, not at all. 
But think about the, the emotional side of it anyway. That's something that in Last Jedi, Luke understands. He understands that the whole Jedi ethos is a bad one and therefore shouldn't be followed in the way that it has been. So I do think that, well, certainly Ryan Johnson was aware of the fact that this had potential to be looked into in greater detail. Pretty turbulent time for the Jedi if they've been going for a thousand generations or however long it is. And then over the course of 30 years or something, that everything just comes crumbling down. Yeah. And anyone who has a chance of continuing on the order is reconsidering the whole thing and thinking, nah, nah, that was just a terrible idea. We should never have done anything like that. And you have to wonder that Yoda might learn an important lesson out of all this as well. But you don't know how strictly he subscribes to that whole Jedi ethos as well, because he seems smarter than that. He seems more innovative than that. But then he's the head Jedi, isn't he? The buck stops with him. I think he's just got a cushy government role. You know, he's worked his way up the ladder, got to that position. And normally he'd be a little green man of principle, but he's just got to go with the flow now. He's got to uphold the apparatus that is keeping him in a position, keeping him in a job. He keeps getting his little three-fingered palm greased. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. My big business. If he was just to step back and take a look and reconsider and he thinks to himself, Yoda, this isn't you. This isn't what you got into this for. And there's also the mention of the prophecy, the whole thing about Anakin's the one to bring balance to the Force. I think that's an interesting thing because that puts undue pressure on him because the prophecy is really vague. I don't know if it's just badly written or whether it's supposed to be deliberately vague in that the Jedi have no idea what this means. But they're putting this pressure on Anakin, who may be this prophesied figure, and that in turn adds to his difficulties as well, because everyone keeps telling him he's the chosen one. But what is a chosen one? And what does he have to do to be this chosen one? I think it's all intentional. It's all the ignorance of the Jedi. All the stuff about balance obviously requiring two different aspects to be balanced. Or in the next film, when they say only a Sith deals an absolute. Yeah, which is in itself an absolute... Yeah, I think all of that is deliberate in it showing the folly of their way of thinking. Yeah, I can't remember who it was that said it, but I read an article years ago that talked about how the prequel trilogy is actually the perfect chosen one narrative. And I think perfect is really stretching it (laughs) significantly. But if you look at other things, I mean, how many other things have we seen that people are destined to be in a certain role? I mean, they even did it with Spider-Man when the Andrew Garfield films, as in this whole... Your blood is the only blood that could have got these powers, so therefore you're destined to be Spider-Man. And it's this whole... (laughs) Instead of that, this series of films flips it on its head a bit by it's assumed that you're the chosen one, but we don't know what that means. And it may all be nonsense. So it's the inverse of that. It's that pressure that he has on him to be something that he has no idea what to be to the Jedi Order. And maybe it's something he doesn't believe in. And what is this balance anyway? And he's questioning the Jedi anyway as well. So it's just this extra layer of expectation that's placed on Anakin that's just not fair on him. They shouldn't really tell him that he is potentially the Chosen One. Is there even much Chosen One talk in this one, as I said? I'm sure it's mentioned. I can't remember exactly if I've missed it somewhere, but I feel as if there's more in... Phantom Menace, obviously, because yeah. Qui-Gon identifies him as having a high enough midichlorian count to potentially be the chosen one. And then, Sith, you were the chosen one. But between that, I'm trying to remember if there's much chosen one stuff in this. I'm sure it's brought up. I think it's mentioned at least once. 
I don't think it's mentioned to him, though. I mean, there's a bit with Mace Windu and Obi-Wan. Is he experienced enough to go out on this mission, or is he okay to be sort of left by himself? And I'm like, well, he's the prophesized one, so we need to sort of get him to step up a wee bit. But it's not really talking <laughs> to him, it's just sort of about him. He's not progressing at the rate that we'd like, so <laughs> we're going to have to get him out there in the field, get him a bit more chosen one experience. You'd have to imagine that he does get it brought up to him in his training. Do you think if he goes to space Starbucks and they ask his name, he just says chosen one, so <laughs> like, shout that out when his coffee's ready? Maybe Obi-Wan just every now and again will just pat him on the back and be like, come on, chosen one, time to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> Starts teaching him about balance, tries to teach him about balance. It's like, here's like, Obi-Wan's here with the scales again. Here's a seesaw. We're just going to play on the seesaw for a bit and I'm going to teach you about balance. Have we ever found out anything about, I mean, you mentioned that the prophecy is vague and we don't know anything really about it. Now that we know that Palpatine was behind everything, he was behind Ray. he was behind Snoke, he was behind all of this. Could he somehow have been behind the prophecy as well? Maybe. Although the prophecy is maybe a lot older than that. Right, but I'm wondering if there's some kind of Sith jiggery-pokery going on where he's managed to tap into something, maybe Plagueis passed something down to him and he's like, look, I've sown the seeds for this prophecy, we just need to find the right to Patsy to pin it on. And then, boom, we're rolling Sith back in business. Yeah, but they also congratulate themselves when they say, or Lucas does, when he says, well, he fulfills that prophecy when he does away with the Sith. It's like, well, no, he doesn't because there's still an imbalance. Because now there's only Jedi. And then you get it again in Rise of Skywalker where Anakin's voice says to Rey, restore the balance like I did or something like that. According to the Jedi, balance means no Sith. I have heard recently, this is stealing from Star Wars Minute, but they were theorising that balance is like, if you think about it, your body needing a healthy diet. You only really want to eat good stuff. You don't want to eat too much bad stuff. And if Uh, you were to have complete balance where you're eating just the right balanced level of bad and good, that's not exactly what you want so they think of the force like a body and you need to put more good in more good more good more good than bad that's one theory for what balance to the force means because yeah as you've pointed out if we think about it on very basic terms then yeah you want just as much good as bad i like the idea that the dark side's the equivalent of a sneaky pint or dominoes or something sweets it's like all right guys <laughs> we've all had a couple a of dark sides we'll find a bit of force lightning let's just chill for a bit and detox and have some herbal jedi tea yeah. or although i suppose you could argue that that healthy eating and stuff is good for your body but then those indulgences are good for your mental health so there's your balance (laughs) you could be the most physically fit person on the planet but you might be miserable and anxious because you're just never enjoying life there's a balance that you could talk about we all need to slice up a youngling occasionally (laughs) (laughs) that's it we all need to Murder younglings, that's it. I mean, I suppose that's a good point. And it's something that Last Jedi digs into a bit where it talks about how there is no light and dark side, really. It is just all views. It's all the way people view things. So it's the seductive side of the Force that's, I guess, more dangerous in the way that it maybe corrupts your thinking and it's more difficult to control and things like that. I don't know if you've played Knights of the Old Republic, but I always go Sith because it's easier and you get cooler powers. <laughs> yeah, I'm just evil to everybody I meet as a Sith in those games because... Again, easier. Or play The Force Unleashed. It's fun and you get to tear stuff apart. Just as Starkiller, who's the most powerful being in the universe as far as anybody's concerned in that video game. These are all coloured by perception. So maybe the balance is recognising that the two sides of the Force do exist and you have to not ignore one of them. Because that's ultimately the Jedi's problem, isn't it? They ignore the dark side. They think it should be cast aside and defeated but it's there 
they have to acknowledge it's also it. Dark side's problem. That's why there's is it the rule of two where, because they are none about compassion and all about power and whatever. There's never more than two of you because you're training them with this ideology that they have to kill you to become the most powerful. So yeah, both of them suffer from the same problem. Maybe an emotionally healthy force user can tap into both sides of the force without any kind of negative emotional consequences. Yeah. I know that's another expanded thingy, but that, is it Qui-Gon Jinn? He sort of got it. He sort of worked it out. It's, oh yeah, we kind of need a bit of both. And he's supposed to have been... I'm not sure what the, the term is. It's not one with the force. So it's like he's reached his own personal balance or something. But again, that's law. It's not in the movie, so... <laughs> Somewhere in that grey Jedi space. In expanded universe stuff as well, is Mace Windu not tapping into a bit of dark side? Maybe I made that mm-hmm. up. Don't know. Same with Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. She's figured it out. Or she seems to have figured it out. Yeah. It's more than just one side or whatever. Yeah, so you can have clarity and force lightning. They aren't mutually exclusive. But you could argue that Dooku's figured it out as well because he doesn't seem maniacal. He seems quite centred. He's, I don't know, not playing both sides, but he's sort of, he's got a hold of things. He has a sense of what's right while also removing himself from various emotions and stuff. I think the conclusion is the films don't tell us enough about these things, but <laughs> there's a few interpretations as well. So that's yeah. the thing. And it does support my theory that it's all perception. There's no good and evil, really. It's all perception. It's all what you do with that ability. And I think the Jedi's short-sightedness is attributed to the fact that they just pretend this other side of the Force doesn't exist. Yeah, and can't even recognise it when it's present there on Coruscant, just down the road at Sith headquarters. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> That's nothing. Don't worry about that. I think I'm sensing some dark side. No, no, don't worry about it. It doesn't exist. There's no way. Is it in this film, the Yoda talks about the dark side clouding things? He also senses Anakin's murder spree and does nothing about it. (laughs) It's nuts. (laughs) The Jedi are the villains here, really, aren't they? (laughs) Okay, so we've done a bit of soul searching on the Jedi Order stuff, so that's pretty cool. We'll... Probably cover that a lot more in Sith, because I think it's more relevant in Sith. The stance of the Jedi and what the Sith are and why everything goes to pot, really. That's more of coverage for that film, I think. But there are seeds of it there. So let's just talk about the action. What do we think of the action sequences in this? There is one we've already really talked about, the chase in Coruscant. We didn't talk about Obi-Wan versus Django. So what do we think of Obi-Wan versus Django in the rain on a platform? Super great. I don't know if it's still having the same sort of strong reaction to it I did when I was a kid watching the cinema, but I could watch that like a hundred times, that part. There's so much going on. There's people losing guns, people losing lightsabers, dangling stuff, flips. <laughs> Flying kicks. Getting a lift. Flying kick, yeah. <laughs> Boba Fett trying to kill Obi-Wan with a ship and feeling. Yeah, it's got everything. That. That's a solid set piece. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I do like it, actually. Although they all have that same problem of whenever a Jedi loses his lightsaber, it's seen as the be-all and end-all of the sequence. That's it. They're done for kind of thing. And they always do that thing where they cut to the lightsaber and show you where it lands. (laughs) It really annoys me every time they do it. I've got to remember that. That lightsaber is over in that corner. (laughs) It's the bit where Obi-Wan tries to get it with the Force and then it gets the cable wrapped around his hands. (laughs) (laughs) Props to ILM. Some of the CGI giant battle set pieces, especially towards the end, is it on Geonosis when it's a sandstorm and just the different coloured lasers lighting everything up. Mm-hmm. This looks amazing. The 2002, 2001-2002-ish computer animation, especially seen as it would have looked weird trying to animate quite a lot of clones at once or a lot of ships at once. 
So they just kind of like pull the focus really close to like, here's some of those big rolling droids and here's a handful of clones running through this like dirt and sand and chaos just flying around them and all this <laughs> sandstorm and smoke cleverly used to not have too much stuff on screen. It looks amazing. <laughs> all this actual clone and droid war stuff. The Obi-Wan and Jango sequence stands out to me because it's just two guys fighting really and there's something, I'm not going to say visceral, but there's there's something a little bit more grounded about it than there is about some of the other stuff. It is really impressively done. Yeah. It does make me think about people kind of scrapping or brawling more yeah. than actually fighting because, like you say, they lose their weapons, they're kind of scrabbling about, they're sliding down the side of the platform. There's not a lot of art to it. They're just kind of slugging backwards and forwards each other, getting jetpacks blasted off. Yeah, it doesn't feel yeah. choreographed. Which is the important thing. Yeah. I love the alternate where you get Kim versus Mace Window and Mace Window just absolutely floors him. <laughs> Not even close to a fair fight. Well, it's the bit where he gets his jetpack damaged and he tries to fly away and then Mace just one sweep of the lightsaber, the head comes off. It's pretty brutal. He didn't deserve that. <laughs> it's because he set fire to Mace's favourite cloak. It's the only one that fits right. CGI fire. <laughs> yeah, the space battle in the asteroid field is another highlight for me. I do really enjoy that with the seismic charges. Uh, I hate the kid bobber though. With that weird <laughs> whispering shout, it's like, yeah, get him. It's like, oh my God, don't cut to the kid. I hate it. Just move on. He's acting his wee socks off because you can tell he's been told to kind of be like bobbing around. It's the same at the Coliseum as well. Everyone else in that box is kind of standing still and just pretending they're looking down at this fight, but he's obviously been told, right, look like you're really enjoying this. He's kind of ducking and weaving and, and I quite enjoy it, quite like looking at him and seeing that he's having a good time. And that image of him picking up the helmet that still has his dad's head in it, it's quite striking actually. Yeah, grim. <laughs> I find the Geonosis battle a bit exhausting though in a bad way i don't know if there's a good way for something to be exhausting because there's just so many parts to it it is really exciting to see a bunch of jedi in one scene igniting their lightsabers because we've never seen that before we could only imagine it so to see that for the first time was really cool but then it just goes on forever yeah i quite like it like you say it's not been done before and yeah i suppose it was something that we probably wanted to see or when you're watching the original trilogy and the jedi have completely dwindled and you always wonder what would it have been like back when there were hundreds of these guys yeah. and yeah it's cool it's cool to see them all kind of fighting and dueling and stuff like that maybe it goes on a bit but i think for the spectacle of of not having witnessed that kind of thing before i think it's pretty cool to see it all just all happening out there in the coliseum yeah and the stages of the battle are okay as well i think the whole animal execution thing goes on for too long and then mace windu turns up and then there's jedi just waiting for their cue and then it looks like they're about to lose then the clones show up and then there's a extended big warfare sequence and actually the clones look really good it's difficult to understand that they never built a practical clone suit because they do look decent enough yeah you wouldn't know that if you weren't told it yeah. never guess like oh they're not real it helps because it's not like for example justice league when they're fighting in new york and that's like a real world but it looks fake because it's a place we know or it's an earth-based thing but in a world where it's like a coliseum full of wasps <laughs> and there's these giant spaceships and lasers and stuff you don't really focus on oh yeah this doesn't look quite real because obviously not it's all space it's all weird aliens fighting stuff you can allow your imagination to kind of fill in any gaps what do you think of the 3po slapstick his head's on the wrong body i forgot about the killer puns i'm quite beside myself <laughs> with my favorite when he's actually just behind himself 
I think it's been well established on previous podcasts how much I dislike 3PO. I'm thinking Rise of Skywalker, I was really teared into him. But yeah, I could have done without this because it just robs any tension that might exist in the battle because you've got this battle droid that has his body. I require maintenance or whatever it is he says. And, and then 3PO saying things like die Jedi dogs and whatever. No, just stop. And then R2 just yanks his head off and then... yeah. It's probably one of the most mocked parts of this film, which is saying something. R2 with his jets that he didn't have in the original trilogy. No, I don't mind his jets and his guns and his, I don't know, it's a Swiss Army robot sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really bother me, that side of it, but the 3PO being involved in the battle and then he doesn't get destroyed. It's just a well-placed, diverted laser blast knocks his head off. Just clean off this battle droid body. It's the droid's head that goes off his body, isn't it? Because he gets crushed. And then R2 kind of winches him away. Yeah. And then you never see them again until the secret wedding. <laughs> they just get into an escape pod and off they go. Maybe they just go back to the ship that they were originally on. I don't know. I'd forgotten that he had left C-3PO on Tatooine. I thought he'd <laughs> gone with him in the first one, but he just goes back and it's like, oh yeah, there's my 120... 8 megabyte mp3 player that I had as a kid (laughs) (laughs) and he just takes it as well because he's not working there he's like this is mine yeah but they've got him out hoovering sand or something like that so it's not (laughs) it's clearly they don't know what to do with him but yeah Anakin's like so here's my mother's body we can bury this I'm having my dried back (laughs) (laughs) thank the maker he's not going home empty handed he's like well I'll have this then this thing Because we need to be reminded that Darth Vader built C-3PO. You can write off as a business trip or an expense. If I have to go collect some important tech for the cause, I'll get this weird homemade... Homemade protocol droid. (laughs) Good news, Obi-Wan. I've got us a really annoying droid that can speak all these languages. Yeah, great. Thanks, Anakin. And I think R2 is just as sassy as he ever is, though. There's things on YouTube and whatever. People just add subtitles whenever he says things. It's the bit where Anakin says to Padme, well... Don't worry, we have R2 with us. And then R2 says something. And you can put in the subtitle of like, screw you! (laughs) Stuff like that. There's a great Techno Union one on YouTube if you've seen that. (laughs) I haven't. You'll need to send me it for the show notes. It's pretty brilliant. The Techno Union guy, I don't know if anybody remembers Dastardly and Muttley and their flying machines. Kind of. Stop the pigeon or catch the pigeon. Hmm. Yeah, there's a character in that. I think he's called Crunk, Clunk, something like that. He talks like that. He talks like the Techno Union guy. That's one for the show notes. <laughs> I'll try. I'll need to find it, yeah. I can just about remember Dastardly and Muttley from Wacky Races. A bit of Stop the Pigeon, but I don't remember Crunk, I'm afraid. <laughs> or Clunk. I can't remember which one it is. One. <laughs> Getting Crunk. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the first time I saw it in the cinema, that was the first thought I had when that Techno Union guy spoke. <laughs> stupid. Just really stupid. <laughs> With the clone troopers, do you think that's an example of pandering? Maybe we asked this earlier in the podcast, but is there stormtroopers now? Are you happy fans? Oh, look, they can actually hit something. I think it works as, oh, yeah, we can bring these in. and then, I mean, yeah, they knew the Clone Wars was a thing from a while ago, so they were going to have to involve them. So I think they were like, yeah, let's make the clones and the stormtroopers one of the same. Like, that seems like a, a sensible way of going around it they sort of crowbar in the one-liners that they had in a new hope jedi are generals they're all generals because they have that whole general kenobi thing in a new hope and it's like what we could do it that's why is he a general he's just a jedi 
turns out just when it comes to the clones that all Jedi are generals. Well, there's probably a whole lot of new action figures and play sets and tanks and ships and things that you can make from this whole new line of clones. So from that <laughs> side of things, yeah, it was a great idea. Yeah. Well, look at all the vehicles they had. They had their big tanks, the ships, the personnel carrier ship things. It gets worse in the next one when they all get different coloured units. You have like the red and the orange and the blue <laughs> ones. And Yeah. There's also the Jedi Starfighter, which I think is really cool. Oh, yeah, the little, just a triangle. Yeah. Little mini Star Destroyer, I suppose. Oh, yeah. It's weird, actually, because the legacy of this film in terms of video games, there wasn't a direct video game tie-in. But there was a bunch of side stuff, Republic Commando and Jedi Starfighter and a few others. Jedi Starfighter was wild. That's a wild video game. And we're trying to shoot all those missiles. Yeah. We go back to that for like a solid week of just struggling through this weird early flight combat. Yeah, we did the co-op campaign, didn't we? We did the missions co-op. Yeah, but some of those fun where it's like, be fire like 200 missiles at a planet, shoot every one of them, <laughs> and if you miss one, you fail, and they're just everywhere. <laughs> it's like, there's no way anyone could do this. Yeah, and then when you put it on two-player, what it does is it ramps up the number of missiles, because I remember doing it no problem on single-player, but it gives you more than double for two-player, I guess. Crazy. But it was a good game for what it was, and I remember I was playing it before the film came out, so I got to the last level before I saw the film, but I had no idea what was going on, so I don't feel like it spoiled anything. Although I didn't know what a geonosis is. I didn't know why I was protecting clone troopers. I didn't know what was going on. And I remember when I saw the film, I was kind of not sure what was going on by this point as well. <laughs> it's all entertaining. I mean, yeah, there's the dull politics stuff, but when it actually does do action stuff, it's fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. I do love that bit where Anakin and Obi-Wan are on the clone ship and they're arguing and they're chasing Dooku and they're trying to shoot him. Shoot him down. We're out of rockets. And, oh, you've got lasers. Try those. Just keep shooting at him. You might hit him. Keep trying. But they have to follow him to this hangar. And then the instant that Anakin and Obi-Wan leave the ship, it's destroyed. <laughs> they get destroyed immediately. <laughs> but again, it's tying into that whole thing we mentioned earlier about this slave race of soldiers. But no one cares. They're just yeah. murdered indiscriminately on the battlefield and no one really cares. Because how many of them die in this film? A few. It's fine when you've got hundreds of... Gungans, droids, clones, all this cannon fodder that nobody really cares about. You can just kind of chuck it in and be like, it's Star Wars, we've got to have some kind of war in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's the only time we see Anakin with a green lightsaber as well. Fact. Yeah. I love it how it's this deeply personal weapon that you have to build yourself, you have to get your own crystal, all that stuff. And then they just chuck a couple of lightsabers at them. Here's some spare PE kit. <laughs> yeah. It might smell, but it'll work. <laughs> oh, not this one. I don't want this. This is far too small. Now I've got the forgot my lightsaber lightsaber. i got a spare Yoda lightsaber. It's tiny. <laughs> well, I didn't clock. Is Anakin using the lightsaber that gets given it a look before that point? Or is this something he gets in Sith? Oh, the green one. No, the blue one that Anakin's using earlier in the film. Is it that handle that ends up going to look? He loses it in the droid factory, doesn't he? Because it gets chopped in half and then he's like... Obi-Wan is going to... He doesn't lose it, it just breaks. Yeah, the emitter comes off the end, doesn't it? But he still has it, because he goes to turn it on and then nothing happens. it just sparks or just... uh, And he's like, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. (laughs) He's going to try. Obi-Wan's going to chop off all my limbs for you. (laughs) What happens to Obi-Wan's lightsaber? Presumably Dooku still has it. Gives it to Grievous. (laughs) 
Because I know in the Clone Wars TV show, he has the famous lightsaber, the Skywalker lightsaber, as it were. In the TV show, that is. I can't remember in this film if he's using it throughout. I should have probably looked at that. I can't really remember. Other than like Kylo Ren's, I can't really tell them apart. Listeners, you can go to Wikipedia and... <laughs> And that's have a picture of find it. the timeline of the Skywalker lightsaber. Or you could just watch Attack of the Clones and pay attention to what Anakin's lightsaber looks like earlier <laughs> in the film. No, 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 no. I'm never going to watch it again, so I'm never going to find out. This will be a question that will never be answered unless someone tells Third me. Third party sources. <laughs> yeah. But read Wikipedia about the Skywalker lightsaber, the Anakin <laughs> lightsaber. Starts with Anakin, then it goes to Luke, then it goes to Rey. Via Finn, I guess. Ray Skywalker. Yeah. So, yeah. But they just get given like random lightsabers, which, again, contrasts with the Jedi code of, no, no, it's a deeply personal individual weapon that you need to make yourself. It's like, yeah, here's a couple. Oh, these old ones just lying around. Here they go. Crazy. So any other observations on action from either of you? I think it's pretty solid. It's less cluttered than the first one. So it's improved in terms of not going from Gungan Naboo fight to space battle back to lightsaber battle to this. Not bouncing around as much. So it's just more clear. Because it's pretty much just all in one location. It's a Geonosis fight or it's the Obi-Wan thing or the Coruscant thing. So definitely an improvement from the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've just about covered it. I feel like they make more sense as well within the context of the story because they are happening for a specific reason. Obi-Wan fights Django because he's trying to stop him from leaving Kamino without giving him the answers he needs. Then they have that space battle on the asteroid field because Django doesn't like the fact that he's being followed. And then the Geonosis stuff happens because it happens. The only extraneous one I find is the animal execution one. I think that's a waste of space, really. Yeah, I don't mind it. It's a bit of filler, but it's fine. I think there's some funny bits to it, though. You've got Anakin riding that rhino thing. It's a bit silly. I only noticed this time around thinking that happens after he'd been riding the weird water balloon cows on Naboo, right? So that's kind of the precursor. It's like, look, he's got this affinity with animals. Oh, no, he's fallen off. But this is where he's perfecting his technique. And then it all comes to fruition later on. (laughs) And it's not Django kills that rhino thing. Yeah, just popped in the ad. Yeah. That's after it's wrecked his jetpack, I think. Yeah, it's just charging at him to so just shoot him in the eyes. <laughs> what a strange film. <laughs> so I think we've covered this in some detail, so it's probably a good yeah. time to just wrap up wrap up this Star Wars Day special that we've had. It's Attack of the Clones, turns out. Not a lot to say about it, other than this two-hour podcast or however long it is. <laughs> <laughs> Angus, what's your final thought on Attack of the Clones? I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the score. I always love the music. And as bad as the film might be, I did watch it over four sittings. (laughs) I don't want to just pile on because this one gets a lot of stick, but the music is really good. So I did enjoy that part of it. And I feel like it was worth revisiting just to pick up on some of those themes and incidental bits that I'd forgotten about. Even the Padme and Anakin love theme is pretty cool. So I really enjoyed that part of it for my positive reaction. Yeah, I think you've said that you might never watch this again. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I think I'm like Sleaze Bagano that I just want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> That's a perfect summation. Yeah, the score, we haven't really talked about that, but the score is great. You get The Empire Strikes Back. The film ends with, well, this is The Empire now. Look at all these 
stormtroopers and star destroyers kind of yeah the imperial mark i just called it the empire strikes back didn't i but it's the imperial mark. <laughs> it's from the empire strikes back so that's in there that's old music really but the new music for this film is really good yeah and i think it is one of the things that i have the biggest connection to the whole saga with there's things in the sequel trilogy as well that aren't particularly to my liking but the new music in that is great as well so it's one of the things where i might not always feel like watching a whole film or watching a whole nine films but i can always stick on a theme or two here and there and it it kind of makes me feel really nostalgic and really sort of long for some star wars so yeah that's definitely one of my favorite things about it just dust off your old cds of the soundtracks and just go for it i think we've actually got two copies of the cd soundtrack to revenge of the sith kicking about somewhere in the house But that's just the legacy of having worked in a cinema a long time ago and these things were always just floating around. If there was an incentive or something, you'd always end up getting a, oh, great, Attack of the Clones soundtrack is the prize for selling the most popcorn. <laughs> Brilliant. Isaac, what's your final word on this? I don't know. I love this movie. I think it's great. At the time, I don't know, we weren't as well-beloved, but I think we can sort of look on the prequels a bit fonder. Except for like the first one, which is just boring. But definitely Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I think they're just really fun. They're just really fun movies. They don't make the most sense when you look into it for a bit or think about it too much. But if you want to see a lot of lightsabers and things explode and Yoda bounce around and Hugh McGregor just own every scene he's in, it's a great two hours. (laughs) I had lots of fun with it. I think I'll watch two and three again before the Kenobi show to sort of get re-caught up on anything. But in conclusion, these are just banger movies. Love it. <laughs> so I don't like this film very much at all. There are things I like about it, and I think last year I was talking about how I assumed that my favourite of the prequels might be The Phantom Menace because it is the most pure George Lucas idea that exists across all three of them. But I do think this one's better. I think the story hangs together slightly better. I think the action stuff is a whole lot better overall. And it's not as terrible as I remembered it being. It's still pretty terrible, and I do never intend to watch it again. We've done the podcast. The cord is broken. I never need to watch it again. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. And it ended up inspiring the Clone Wars TV show, which is overall pretty excellent. So if you haven't watched it, Angus, and Isaac, you haven't watched most of it either, give it a watch. Just that one episode on Mon Calamari, or the Mon Calamari saga. (laughs) You saw quite a lot of it, actually, while I was watching through it when we lived together. I don't remember anything other than Mon Calamari. What else is there to remember? <laughs> there was the three-parter on that Force planet, and you were on the podcast about the final episodes. Oh, yeah, the Bad Batch and stuff. Yeah. So the legacy of Attack of the Clones is probably better than Attack of the Clones itself, because it allowed for a really great animated project to exist. I thought you were going to say memes. Memes. The memes. I don't know much about the memes, yeah. <laughs> memes, Lego sets, expanded lore. Video games. Video the game. Lego video game. Although I, I will say about Yoda and the Lego video game, when you turn the lightsaber on, he's impossible to control. Yeah. Star Wars Battlefront 2. All the stuff that came out of this that's actually better than the film itself, I yeah. think is what the we're trying to say. There you go. There's the legacy. In conclusion, <laughs> films only are worth as much as their merchandise. <laughs> Yeah, it's all worth it for Jedi Starfighter. We had to suffer this film, but we got Jedi Starfighter, which is better than this film. There we go. That's the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Angus, thanks for being here on this journey of the beginning of the Clone Wars 
Thank you. And Isaac, thank you for being here to talk about a film that you like and putting up with us saying how much we hate it. That's all right. I was thinking, like, have I said anything nice about this movie? <laughs> like, when every scene you ask me, it's like, well, it could be done better. It could be done better. I love this, but there's a lot to say that's wrong with it. But yes, anyway, thanks for having me on. Oh, well, we had to get someone that liked it to then never say yeah. anything positive about what it. What an astonishing coincidence <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you knew someone. Do we know the guy? Yeah. Do we know the guy that likes it? The one yeah. person that likes it? Yeah, and I'll see you again for, I think I'll next be needed on The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Book me in for those two movies. <laughs> We've already done those. <laughs> Are we done the sequels? Yeah, we did them as they were coming out. Oh. So we won't be doing them for Star Wars Day, because we've done them. I don't know if you were on Rise of Skywalker, I don't think you were. I don't think so. No. Oh well. He likes it, by the way, listeners. That's all yeah, we heads do. Up. It's another bang of yeah. <laughs> Basically, Isaac will believe the opposite of whatever general consensus is. I just have good taste. It's the rest of the world's problem. <laughs> oh, no, I just like lightsabers. If there was a Star Wars movie coming out called Star Wars, somebody just turning lots of lightsabers on and off and doing a flip, I'd be like, that's perfect. <laughs> There's probably a fan film you could watch that is just that. In fact, there's the Darth Maul fan film that you should watch. That is just that. That's all it is. Next time you're going to Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie, just have a separate room where you just throw a load of glow sticks in a washing machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's your seat. And I'm like, yeah, that's two hours of my life. <laughs> so a couple of Lego clones in there. So I can see other characters fly by. I'm going to be like, yeah, cool, clones. <laughs> this is how we keep Isaac entertained while we uh, formulate the plot of this other thing that we're trying to make. <laughs> So that was it. That's our discussion of Attack of the Clones. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. May the 4th be with you all. And let's hope your celebrations don't bring about the revenge of the 5th. Because you might be hungover if you have too many drinks on Star Wars Day. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Here's some thank yous. Thank you, Isaac, for the artwork for this podcast. No worries. It is great. You've never been on... Well, you've only done one podcast that there was artwork for, but you've never been on one where you were actually responsible for the artwork. So This is my first it is, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah, you weren't on one division. Yeah, so no. there you go. You did yeah. the artwork. So thank you for that. No worries. It's lots of fun. In the show notes, you can find where all your stuff is. But I don't know if you just want to tell people where to go to see more of your stuff. Oh, yeah. It's Ms. Monster Adams on Instagram, is the best place to find it, or the art of Okay. For the music, I want to thank YouTubers Ian Wright and 331 E for their covers of Star Wars music excellent stuff and if you want to discuss Star Wars or Attack of the Clones or Clone Wars or anything really you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or you can leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk if you want to subscribe to the podcast we're on Spotify Apple Podcasts anywhere really and of course please on Apple Podcasts leave us a star rating and a comment five would be nice but if you didn't like it then don't pander to us just let us know star rating and comment feed the algorithm hungry algorithm that's what it is as always you can catch us on the next meal before pod may the fourth be with you <laughs> <laughs>